Welcome to Day Zero Updates. I'm your host, Chris Sologi, here for the July the 5th show. Yep. July uh, 5th. Yep. And, uh, yeah, we're going to start a little bit different because Phil's not the host here anymore. Nope. Uh, his last show was last week, and so... Uh, what a show yeah. it was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, we got some shit going on, but hey, we'll just do our normal intro here after this little uh, quick update intro, I guess. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll get it better next time. But uh, yeah, so I'm your host, Chris Sologi. I'm Patrick Mifflin. I'm Brian Perkins. I'm Teresa Sammons. And I'm Lee Lamb. All right, so we got a lot of shit this week. Oh, uh, God, yes. So we got a, a major member of the uh, gaming media stepping down mm-hmm. uh, after a very major, long stay. Major. Uh, we got some uh, some games getting some updates. Uh, one getting an update to remove its release status. Uh, we got uh, some new indie stuff. Maybe an idea of what's going on with Xbox. They're no, they're lesser hardware for launch. Maybe I don't know. Uh, and then we got uh, the asshole portion of the show near the end. Uh, yep. One of the best uh, uh, voice actresses in the business is getting a lot of shit because people don't like what her character did in the game. Which, yeah. And then uh, we got people dealing with uh, the ongoing uh, allegations of harassment and misconduct at uh, Ubisoft and throughout the fighting game community. Yeah, especially uh, that last one, because uh, that last bit basically just straight up canceled a major event for this year. Now, granted, they probably could have gone ahead and canceled it and just said, uh, we're doing this because of COVID-19, but... Yeah. Well, they'd have already moved it online because of COVID-19, so... Mm -hmm. Yeah, and a bunch of devs pulled out and publishers. Yep. uh, Because of... Lack of accountability for people at the top. Yeah. So yeah. And we'll as get... you can probably imagine, we're going to hear a lot from Pat and Lee about this, since you know they're they've got roots in the fighting game community, and uh, let's just say they probably witnessed a lot of this bullshit themselves. Uh, there was an incident years and years ago that probably should have been a red flag, but yeah. um, I don't think we'll the fighting until game the community, end. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. uh. But, uh, the sign of uh, a community yeah. that is very loosely organized that mm-hmm. this sort of stuff happened. It's not really an excuse, but it's how it got to this point. But yeah, it we'll, was also at a very specific point in its evolution. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, we'll get to that stuff. Uh, for now, we're going to talk about what we're playing, and I will kick it off uh, playing two games that just never end. Uh, Rocket League uh, still going through mm-hmm. their fifth anniversary event. Uh, also doing. Some of the challenges for this week with two weeks this is the second to last week here. Uh, though they just extended the competitive and rocket pass seasons for a bit because they've got a big update coming this summer and they're not ready to uh, disclose when it's going to hit. So they're tying all that up into one whole thing, which they've done in the past. Uh, I'm hoping that means they're going to unify the account systems for all that so that you can bring all your stuff to any platform. That would be great to see. Uh, but yeah, now it kind of leads to this whole weirdness of just keep playing the game, which is fine by me. Uh, but this week I've got uh, an annoying challenge that requires me to play four games in a party, and I don't play in parties, so that means I have to 
get a second controller ready to go, put some rubber bands on it, and play some <laughs> bullshit casual matches as I occasionally hit the button to keep it from going AFK and getting kicked out of the game. Uh, which is annoying that they keep doing this. They did this last season, but whatever, it's one one week's challenge, so it's not really a big deal. Uh, the other game I'm playing is Golf on Mars. I streamed this yesterday. Uh, still continue to play it. I am in like two seven. I think I'm both. I just I just hit two seventy three uh, holes in that, which means I've got the achievement for getting to one hundred holes. Now I'm on to one thousand. I'm a quarter of the way there, and so I figured out that the uh, it's randomly generated these holes. It means I got to one uh, right at the end of the stream. That was pure bullshit. Could not get. Uh, imagine like a cave system essentially where there's this one piece of rock that is essentially blocking everything that's hanging over it so there's no physical way of getting to it and the game kind of forces you to just do uh, 25 strokes and then it gives you a skip button but yeah the problem is that was for the one hole then getting back out was impossible because it just warps you to the next hole so I had to do it again and I was like oh this is, this is fucked up but I guess for the, the randomness of the rest of this the the holes generally being pretty good. You get a couple rotten eggs in there. Uh, so, so far it's been not too bad, but uh, where I'm at, they've added some new elements. Things like cactuses that are on Mars, I guess. Uh, and when your ball hits that, it just sticks to it. Which can be good when you overshoot stuff and your ball's just going to go flying off. Uh can also be a bad thing when you're uh, getting hit the wrong side of it, I guess. And you need to get over it. Mm-hmm. You kind of mess up your shot, that kind of thing. But it's been uh, pretty good. Also, clouds now are a, th- a mechanic, which you hit it into a cloud, and it kind of slows it down. So you can kind of undo some potential mistakes if you're not sure how much you need to put into a shot, that kind of thing. But uh, the stream was pretty fun, though I kept getting frame re- frames dropping, which I could not understand. It's a 30 meg game. It's like all vector graphics kind of looking uh, stuff. It's not should not have been complicated or anything, but I just couldn't figure it out the issue. But also, don't think it affected how it looked anyway. Uh, it's not a very like high frame rate game or anything. You don't need it to be run 60 to get the full effect. But that's been largely it. Uh, I did get some stuff out of the the Steam sale, the the, the PSN sale that's ending here. I think on the ninth. Uh, they have all of the Konami collections on PS4 mm-hmm. for five bucks each. Uh, That's good shit too. Oh yeah, Castlevania, the Contra, the Symphony of the Night collection, and the arcade, the arcade stuff. classic yep. collection, which are all five bucks each. Mm-hmm. Which oh, even if you don't, a lot of good games. Even if you don't have the nostalgia for all that shit, that's still pretty good amount for uh, getting a good shot at checking out a bunch of that stuff. Because I don't think they've really packed those games up too much in the past. Maybe like just one or two together. Like the mm-hmm. Castlevania and Rondo Blood kind of got the packaging on PSP. But that's kind of about it for the most part for them. But yeah, those are things I picked up. Uh, yeah, how about you, Patrick? Uh, I was I was just going to add to that. Um, Teresa and I were just talking yesterday about how possibly the Castlevania Netflix series should lead to a Castlevania three remake. Um, but then you would have to do it with Konami involved. No, they they haven't been completely inactive, and 
their output hasn't been exclusively shit, so you know, I Um, Super Bomberman R came out during this new Konami, and that was a really good game. Yeah, but that might also be the exception that proves the rule. Yeah. Well, might be, might be depending Look, on... Okay, I'll tell you what. If you game. get the people who worked on that game to work at the Castlevania 3 remake, then okay. Yeah, uh, then maybe you'd think, have it. I just think the demand is there um, yeah. after the Netflix series. Um Anyway, uh, moving on to what I'm playing, Fantasy Star Online 2. It, I'm yeah. going to hit the 300-hour mark on it today, yeah. and there's no end in sight. Uh, this game just, um, it owns me, and, you know, we're, we're going to talk later about, a, about the other MMO that I'm currently engrossed in, and there's a good wait for the next patch for that game. So this uh, PSO2 can um, can hoard my undivided attention for the foreseeable future. So, Pat and Teresa, how how many concerts have you attended? Um, usually I just go AFK there. Okay. Uh, oh, I've, I've gone to a few because it's just interesting. I mean... <laughs> how often is it the same thing? Well, there are only two concerts that okay. I'm aware of. Yeah. Um, I want to say before they launched the PC version, they had like a Hatsune Miku concert. I don't know if they no, that, repeated I, that. I've seen that on the Xbox. So okay. yeah. I actually have the item from that. So that, that's happened at least once. Um, but usually it's a Kuna concert, who is a, actually a very important NPC uh, once you get into the MSQ. Um, I'm wondering, do the... Wait, who? what concert? Kuna. She's a character in PSO. Oh, gotcha. Uh, do they do the encores all the time? I don't know if the the people are always yeah. enthusiastic to I've seen get enough one without an encore. Okay. Really? Yeah. I was wondering but if that was an actual mechanic or if it was bullshit. It's like, oh, there weren't a lot of people on that day. Yeah. All right. Okay. I always wonder about that kind of stuff when I, they do it. I just it's figured like, it was automated. That was just a. That was just something that it rotated through. Or maybe it's random. It's like, oh, this one will be the one that doesn't get the encore or something. I wouldn't be surprised. That seems a lot simpler than trying to... Gauge the Gauge chat, however weird that is to pull up. And and it's it's definitely not the chat anyway, because no one uses that. Yeah, or the emotes or whatever it is. Like, that stuff, that social stuff, kind of a little bit weird in that game. Yeah. Even on PC. I don't know. I I never use any of it, so... Right. Uh, well, yeah, that's um, so far. I've got two. I've got two classes to level fifty plus: mm-hmm. uh, ranger and braver. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is my first time really playing ranger in any PSO game, and I now understand all of the random cackling that used to come from my mom's room while she was playing PSO. Mm. Um, because you get a hold of the right gun and. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, just, it, um, it's crazy. He's like Teresa was there for one such incident. <laughs> I was just like, what? Yeah, it was um, just kind of poof, and then there was experience points numbers all over the screen, and <laughs> yeah, that that was fun. So yeah. that's been my week. All right. Uh, as for me, I uh, finished The Last of Us Part Two, um, and. Like I said on Facebook, 
I did not think if it was possible that they could equal the ending of the first The Last of Us, because the very first The Last of Us game ends on this very moody and ambiguous note. Well, didn't and you so, also say that it didn't even necessarily really leave you wanting more? Yeah, well... Like they could have let it go there. Well, and, I had no problem playing more of The Last of Us. I just didn't necessarily think they would go with this particular storyline, because that particular storyline ended on a perfect note. You know, because they had I mean. done... Yeah, they had done enough uh, world building at that point that it was like they could totally do uh, a bunch more The Last of Us games, all of them with different parts of the world and different storylines. But somehow they managed to take that storyline and they extended it and made it really good. Um you know the the, the it's char- always great when they can do that. Yeah, the character development is insane. They managed to somehow take that that story and then put a sequel onto it that not just kind of raises the stakes, but also manages to equally end on a moody, ambiguous note about where they're going from here. Um, so we can assume there's going to be a part three now. Well, they basically set it up for one. I mean, they don't... Okay. I say they set it up for one. They end it in a very ambiguous note the way the first game did, but they do it in such a way that if they decide to do a part three, they can kind of justify it a little easier. <laughs> okay. Because um, uh, the thing you have to remember about part two is that game actually... Cause, and obviously, I'm not the only person here who played it, because Chris also played it. Did Chris play it? Did you play Chris? Yeah. Yeah, and Dan Red did too. So, you know, the game basically starts, like, I think about, like, a month or so uh, after the events of the first game, and then, you know, the game proper starts, like, a few years later. Yeah. Um, and it does, like, it, you know, it took, because that first game ends on a very uncomfortable note, because... You know, it's like, you know, basically Joel just straight up lies to Ellie and tells her, like, you know, he got her out of there because, you know, she, uh, you know, because he said, you know, the vaccine wouldn't have done nothing, you know, and they ran some tests, blah, blah, blah. When, as we know, what actually happened is Joel decided to go all pop and kill all the fireflies. Yep. And, you know, he tells Ellie this lie and Ellie... Kinda sounds like she doesn't quite believe him, but she's willing to accept it. But he actually, in this game, Joel actually ends up having to tell the truth, like, midway through the game. And she does not take it well. Um, but, yeah, it, it's incredible. And, obviously, there's also the fact that they... Uh, have a little switcheroo that they pull towards the end where they suddenly made it well, you know, you start playing this other character, Abby, and an for how too. she's involved in the... Yeah. Uh, and, you know, for the, they don't quite do it as bad as they do with MGS2 where you end up playing as Raiden for the majority of the game. Uh, what they do instead is that, you know, they sort of switch it up between the two, Um you play as Ellie for a little while, then they switch it over over to Abby, then they switch it back to Ellie, then they switch it back to El- Abby for a bit, and then you end up going to Seattle and you play the first three day and you play 
three days in Seattle, and then they decide to switch it over, and then you play those same three days, but as Abby from her perspective. Hmm. And uh, so it's more like a split narrative. Yeah, and uh, you know. Uh, the game is amazing, but I can kind of understand why some people do not like the way that the narrative goes, because, you know, it's – it's imagine if you had been playing Super Mario Brothers all this time, and you love the Mario Brothers, you know, and the Mario and Princess Peach and all them, and they're awesome and everything – and then suddenly, one day, you decide they make a game where you end up playing the majority of the time as Bowser. And you find out that Bowser isn't actually that bad of a person, and that the Koopas aren't that bad, and that the only reason they're doing what they're doing is because Mario and Peach have killed so many of the people that they love. That's kind of how it goes with Ellie and Abby. Ah. Uh, okay. And some people just aren't comfortable with that kind of thing. Me? I love shit like Near and Spec Ops the Line, so this crap was right up my alley. Yeah. I love narratives that can do that. That to me yes. is a absolute you know, that the that is the sign of a very talented storyteller. And uh Naughty Dog are nothing if not the Pixar of AAA games. So But uh other than that, uh I've been playing Catherine. Uh, because I've got my PS Now subscription for the moment, and Speaking I just storytelling. Yeah, and uh, Catherine is a lot of fun, but it is also stressful as all hell. <laughs> um, those puzzles are can be real mind benders if you don't know what you're doing. Um, and uh, not really much to add to that, other than the fact that I love the fact that they basically. Take the game, and it like the whole game literally only takes place in two areas the entire time. You're either playing as Vincent in the bar, or you're playing as Vincent in the nightmare, and that's it. And somehow they managed to tell this incredibly thought-provoking story just with those two areas. And it um, definitely uh, reaches through the fourth wall and value checks the player on a regular basis. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, also, I've been playing For Honor. I say kind. I have to say kind of because, uh, well, you have to get an Ubisoft account for that, and my Wi-Fi isn't always the best, so I've been kind of playing it, but kind of not at the same time. Gotcha. But uh, other than that, uh, that's pretty much been it for me. So, Teresa, what about you? Uh, like Pat said, uh, Fantasy Star Online 2, been playing that, and uh, just really enjoying it. This week I'm going to start in the main story quests and uh, read that, or not read that, but, well, maybe I will. Well, um, it, it's almost entirely cinematic. Um, okay. There are a few spots that you have to play, but um, they definitely keep the story content and the gameplay content very separate. Okay. Yeah, I'll be uh, working on that, but um, otherwise I've been playing Animal Crossing uh, New Horizons. The diving and swimming came out this week, so been doing a good bit of that. Um, and then just, uh, you know, new insects and whatnot to catch since it's a new month. Um, been playing Kingdom Two Crowns again, more couch co-op, yes, that's still a thing. Played a little bit of uh, Civ Six because had to get my fix. 
And um, I've been playing my playing my little uh, weenie touch games on Steam, like Mini Metro and Plants vs. Zombies and meow, meow, meow. Just time wasters, really. Um, but nice time wasters. Except Mini Metro, which pisses me off a lot. Um, that's pretty much it. A lot of gaming, though, but not a lot of titles. Actually, now that you mentioned uh, those, uh, uh, quote-unquote, weenie games... <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, uh, something else I've been playing on my phone, a uh, game that actually became available just this week, a little game called Sino Alice, which oh, is a mobile, ga- mobile game that was written and designed by Yoko Taro. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll just leave it there. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, well, maybe we'll have more stuff that we've been playing next week. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, uh, Lee, what about you, Lee? Um, I managed to get another ten minutes further into Tits. Yeah. Really thrilled about that. Um, and I was able to put about an hour into Deus Ex. I just haven't had much time, and especially with the, I wanted to have a nice calm weekend, but that didn't happen. And um, well, with the fireworks and everything, and, yeah. and I th- I'm pretty sure they set everything on fire outside earlier. Uh, my dogs are still traumatized, so I spent yesterday. What I wanted to do was, you know, actually play some stuff. I wasn't able to do that because I was too busy making sure that my uh, my animals didn't kill themselves. Yeah. So that was good times. So no, that's that's really I haven't had a chance to play shit. So one of these days, well, that's yep. it. I got nothing. <laughs> All right. Yep. Okay then. Yeah. So uh, it's another month. So we got some new games from PlayStation Plus and Games with Gold. Uh, let's see. PlayStation Plus. It is their tenth anniversary. Mm-hmm. So kind of doing a little bit extra here. Uh, having NBA Two K Twenty is one of the titles, mm-hmm. which is a good uh, title yeah. to have for that. Uh, the other one is Rise of the Tomb Raider, which has. Which is- uh, yeah. VR supports plus all the DLC. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of VR modes there for that. And uh, the third game is a bonus game is Erica, uh, yeah. which is a FMV game that I really liked when it came out. Uh, very much focused on kind of just making narrative choices that mm-hmm. uh, branches out to other endings, that kind of stuff. Uh, very much well worth checking out. Uh, so you say FMV game, you're you're talking like the kind of shit that was on Sega CD. Kind of. But there's modern FMV games which are less about uh, bullshit UI and just let you kind of enjoy the fact that it's kind of a high-quality uh, video feed and telling a story without, like, you have to correct, guess the correct code to get rid of these zombies. Okay. Uh, and if you listen to this person sing a song that's the theme song you're gonna fail because fuck you mm-hmm. the kind of arcade mentality of some of that stuff is more just like you know like telltale stuff but uh full fmv kind of thing mm-hmm. so kind of how that stuff would have evolved if they'd steered into it yeah they felt like they less had to make it a game that was replayable whatever replayability was for those games those are games you could beat in like 20 minutes and you saw everything um, yeah, kind of taking modern sensibilities for arcade games or modern adventure games and building that to uh, full F and V acting and all that. So, yeah, like Wales Interactive does all that kind of stuff. Uh, 
on consoles and PC. So, yeah, the all three of these are pretty good games. Worth checking out. Uh, and along with that, they have a free theme that celebrates uh, the the 10th anniversary of PlayStation Plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, they throw out like a couple of uh, information, a bit of a bit of a stats kind of things. Like uh, Wipeout HD was one of the first games given to PS Plus members. Let's see, over a thousand games total over ten years. Mm-hmm. Uh, Forty-one point five million users total uh, would be the thirty-sixth largest population in the world. Uh, let's see. Yeah, they show like top five monthly games redeemed uh, globally as of April twenty twenty. Let's see, Modern Warfare Remastered, Sonic Forces, which is a weird one to be the number. Too, but uh, Shadow of the Colossus, most recent remake, I think it is. Uh, Black Ops Three, and Destiny Two. Yeah. See, they, Sonic uh, Forces actually makes perfect sense to me because it seems like the kind of game that a lot of people were probably curious about, but mm-hmm. weren't about to spend a dime on. Yeah, especially with all the the bad feedback at launch. Um, and top five online multiplayer games for PlayStation Plus people: uh, Grand Theft Auto Five. Rainbow Six Siege, Black Ops 3, uh, Destiny 2, and I think this is Black Ops 4. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, kind of that, how that's uh, been going. So I'd be curious to see how that stuff goes for uh, PS5, how they evolve things for that. But there's also a free weekend here that ends, let's see, at midnight... Tonight, your local time. Uh, so if you do not have uh, PlayStation Plus, uh, you can play some multiplayer stuff uh, outside of the free-to-play stuff, which is always free. But uh, let's get over to Games with Gold, which has uh, an interesting selection of games here. Uh, the first one that is uh, Xbox One available right now is World Rally Championship 8, FIA World Rally Championship, uh, which is a very European choice. For racing games, uh, I've not. They're very good. Yeah, I've not played these. I remember the some of the original couple games were very highly lauded. I'm not sure how these ones have kept up with that, but no real need to. Oh, they're great. Yeah. Uh, the other one joining on July 16th is a new release, Dunk Lords, uh, which looks like NBA Jam from what I saw of it. Mm-hmm. Uh. Yeah, very weird, but like fantastical characters, it looks like. Uh, so you can get some, uh, yeah, like, there's a character here that has like a strawberry on their head. I don't know. The Catman, yeah, some weird stuff, like power ups, all that kind of stuff. So that could be cool. Who knows? Uh, for the backwards compatibility stuff for 360, there's Saints Row 2. Uh, sure. Uh, a game where you can literally spew shit all over people's houses. Yep. Uh, and probably some oh, stuff yeah. that probably doesn't hold up well uh, for being an open world game from probably like 2007 or 2008. Uh, and the uh, 360 game that's being avail- made available on the 16th is Juju. Which I don't really remember much of. Uh, I think that's probably an XBLA game or something like that. It looks like a platformer. Of some sort, uh, very cutesy graphics, that kind of stuff, but that seems like an okay month there. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's your kind of free game offerings for the uh, yeah. two main subscription services. 
Uh, let's see. Let's get to the next the the next story here. That is kind of a uh, big news for the industry. Uh, Game Informer's Andy McNamara, who's mm-hmm. been there for twenty nine years, said uh, forever when he joins mm-hmm. uh, at longer 19. than most of his subscribers have ever been alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was nineteen when the first issue of Game Informer came out back in nineteen ninety one. Yeah, uh, he is stepping down. Uh, still yep. going to be in the industry, but not as a in the the media part of the industry. He's moving mm-hmm. to L.A., which is going to be a big change because Game Informer has always been headquartered in Minneapolis. Yep. Uh, partially for good to kind of make it more deliberate for people to actually come to them uh, when they had coverage to do, mm-hmm. uh, versus just being in like the the typical main markets of like L.A., San Francisco. Uh, New York, that kind of stuff. And yeah, it's definitely one of the, he's one of the people that's been to every E3, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, a rare feat, especially considering yeah. now there's no E3 this year. So are there any rumors about where he's going um, uh, next I don't career? think so yet. Uh, he has tweeted that like he's had his first day off uh, without a job. Working on for things for his next job. Uh, it's in LA, so I assume he's joining some developer or publisher there. I, mm-hmm. I can make a few guesses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what do you have? Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it was Supergiant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That uh, that actually sounds pretty not a bad idea. I'm wondering if they're in San Francisco. Mm. That might be up in San Francisco, because that's where... Well, no, it, uh, I remember Greg saying he, he moved to L.A. Okay. I thought. Let's see. All right. uh, any others? No, that's my best guess. Okay. Yeah, that's about the best I can think of, too. Or yeah. maybe another magazine Maybe one of that's... EA Studios. Or another magazine that is not necessarily uh, gaming-related, but some other pop culture area. Uh, I think he said he's still in the gaming industry, just not oh, okay. on the media side. Media. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Maybe he'll actually get into development. That's yeah. what I was... Um, if it's not media, there aren't that many other choices, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's possible, yeah. But yeah, this dude got in on the ground floor in 91. He's been... Yeah. Oh, wow. At the point where yeah. they even did covers, like, where they just had staff people, like, parroting, like, whatever they were doing, like, he's on the NBA Jam posters, like, weird skinny white kid, like, <laughs> hanging above a hoop kind yeah. of thing, so it's like, they had to do things back then, because there wasn't a ton of, like, big games to put on covers, yeah. where you ended up with, like, EGM going back and forth between Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter every month, Yeah, because they didn't have any better ideas, I guess. Yeah, or he ended up doing, like, the Nintendo Power thing and just making shit out of clay. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Yeah, uh, I that think... That was pretty cool, <laughs> I have to admit. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's definitely uh, a big, a big, big step down. Uh, he has uh, been a big force for that team. Not, uh, but they're in pretty good shoes, because taking over for his spot is Andrew Reiner, who mm-hmm. has also been there for a very long time, been kind of his right-hand man for the last uh, ten years or so. But he gets to take over... That'll be a big thing, especially uh, he is a big sports gamer, so you don't see too many of them kind of taking over publications uh, too often. 
Uh, I think also along with Andy stepping down, uh, Matthew Cotto is stepping down. He's been there for just over 20 years. Uh, and I think Leo Vader, their video guy, is also stepping down, but he's going over to MinMax, which was sort of the like YouTube channel that uh, grew out of former Game Informers. Mm-hmm. So he goes over there. I'm not sure what Cotto's doing, but uh, still got a good few people there. Uh, be interesting to see if they end up shedding the magazine part of it. Uh, but for now, I think they have. I think they have Cyberpunk as their cover for this month. Yeah. And they're doing like a weird little AR thing tied to that, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of neat and fits fits that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're gonna cover that, so yeah, that's. Uh, gonna see how the how that whole uh, site evolves. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's uh, that's that. We wish Andy. Yep. Wish Andy yep. the best best of luck, and see what kind of cool stuff he's working on in the near future. Mm. Uh, this next one, very much for Pat and Teresa, as mm-hmm. uh, Final Fantasy fifteen's or fourteen's uh, big updates here, uh, five point three, codenamed Reflections in Crystal, is looking to release on August eleventh after being delayed for a good bit. Uh, during the whole outbreak pandemic. Yeah, this was supposed to come out, I believe, this month, but mm-hmm. that wasn't going to happen. So um, this is going to be a pretty huge update. It's going to include the next step of the the Near Automata raid. It's going to wrap up the, the Shadowbringers story arc in earnest and start setting up the, um, the 6.0 um, expansion. Uh, for next year, and um, they said in the the letter from the producer, uh, Naoki Yoshida said that it's going to finish with a movie length cutscene. So, uh, if you've got experience with uh, the kind of um, eventfulness that Yoshida's team can pack into that kind of time, um, shit's about to go down. And mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to seeing where the storyline goes from here because um, as good as Shadowbringers has been, there are a couple of plot lines that um, have kind of gone on a little too long. And with 6.0, it's said that that's going to represent the end of everything that um, the previous team had been working on from 1.0, and it's just going to be the stuff that Yoshida's been uh, building toward uh, since he took over the game, so mm-hmm. that's a hell of a thing I'm to real... say. Like now, we're going to work on the real game. <laughs> well, yeah. they had a lot of stuff to unpack. Yeah, and they didn't want to just um, ham-fistedly um, just throw everything that the first team had been working on out. Because um, you know, if you play the game, you'll find that uh, they've they were working on some very good storylines and. Um, it was worth seeing those through. Um, you know, the the last several years of the game have been extremely rewarding, and I really just look forward to uh, to seeing where they take it from here. Yep. And another another point that um, tells me that shit's about to go down is that um, they already said that six is going to involve a soft reset of the world with. Um, a stat crunch and everything. 
which would make it consistent with the upheaval of um, World of Warcraft, World of Warcraft Cataclysm. So, yeah, there's um, there's a lot of change coming, and it'll be interesting to see how they um, how they set it up over the next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this will be the one that also kind of streamlines the uh, A Realm Reborn campaign. Yes. It makes that a bit of an easier uh, slope to get into. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because um, it it was really justified having that much meat on its bones when the game first rolled out because, um, you know, that's all there was to the game. Yeah. And so the um, taking that long to tell that much story made sense. But I can definitely see places where they can crunch it down a bit, especially during the, the Garuda and Titan story arcs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, Teresa, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah, that that could definitely be streamlined. Yep. Basically, yep. the entire bit with the company of heroes making you a gopher. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, it'll be. Uh, so it seems like if you bought the game decent uh, digitally recently and haven't used your first month, uh, it seems like a good time to do that here in the middle of August. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Get to check in. Uh, skip over. A lot of the the BS people have had to get through just to get to the good uh, later <laughs> stuff in the games. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how how that all feels. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, let's see. So Chris, are you going to come back to the game to experience this? Uh, we'll see. How the month from now is uh, a long time. There's a lot <laughs> of shit that could it happen. Really between, is. <laughs> uh, and it's like okay, they're finally ending the. Like the entire Shadowbringers campaign, it's like, all right, when do you think we're gonna see what the next one is? Like late, late this year? I would say E three next year. Okay. Because um, they've also said that they have no intention of trying to make up the the lost time um, from COVID nineteen. They're just going to push everything forward. You know, a month and a half, two months. Um, okay. So ordinarily. Um, we would have an initial reveal trailer and a name around December. Yeah. And I think, um, I think that's going to move the initial reveal to February and all the fan fests and everything that's attached to that. Um, but I, I think we're going to be looking at a, a proper full reveal around E3 and maybe... Um, a release in late August, early September. Okay. Of next year. So there's still a lot of time. I mean, the Shadowbringers core storyline is coming to an end, but the Shadowbringers patch cycle is still going to be going on for um, for about a year. So. Yeah, and if you're um, advertising this, like this is a good jumping on point yes. to get into the game. To, I'm like, okay, you've got six months to get through all this. Might be you know, rushing things a little bit for those people as well. Yeah, it, that's definitely not going to be Give them the a little bit of breathing time. I mean, you can absolutely do it, but, ooh, that's a lot of playing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's like uh, mm-hmm. telling Lee that he has to get through all the, the Trails games uh, in six months for the, the new one that comes out. Yep. I, mean, I, I would say that's very doable, except not for Lee. Yeah. 
yeah. But yeah, the yeah, let's talk about uh, from a game that uh has done well to one that has not, uh Amazon's newest game, Crucible. Oh, uh released uh, yes. and did so poorly that they are uh pushing it back into uh the development cycle as a yep. closed beta. Yeah. For those that were still playing it up to a certain point. Mm-hmm. Uh which is kind of a wild thing to do. Mm-hmm. She's like, uh, oh, we're gonna control Z this launch and uh we'll keep working on this. Mm. Uh which I think is at least good on Amazon's part, realize like uh shit, we need to actually put more time into this. Instead of just like saying like, well, that's the game. Uh, yeah, but- we're laying off all you people because this did not do well, and we'll try again in five years. Uh, so yeah, they're yep. basically a lot of put- studios that would have done that. Yeah, mm. but yeah. If you're weren't already playing Crucible, uh, you're spared oh. from the uh, thought of having to play it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's gonna be. Yeah, they're even like making changes of like they have, like three modes I think to play and they're basically like pulling some of them that weren't getting any uh people playing it cuz I think they were basically like triple digit player counts at most. Uh, which is not great for a launch. Gosh. Uh, so yeah, that's uh yeah, they're going to keep working on that, I guess. Yeah. Maybe we'll see if it uh, ever turns out into a better game. Yeah, hey, they've gotten plenty of feedback, so. Yeah. Plus, this is Amazon, so they can afford it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they don't have to worry about funding. Yeah. Uh, and if they want to use that funding to say that they want quality to be the hallmark of their titles, then they've got a future in this. Yeah. Certainly better than things that Apple has done. Yeah. Where they're basically pulling back on their Apple Arcade stuff. Uh,. Trying to focus more on games that don't end, uh, which was not what the entire picture that was early on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, Nintendo, uh, their president has uh, apologized for the Joy-Con drift issues, kind of making his first like address of this whole thing mm-hmm. in a, a financial Q and A with uh, stockholders. Uh, you know, saying that uh, you know. Let's see, uh, regarding the Joy-Con, we apologize for any trouble caused to our customers. We are continuing to aim to improve our products. As the Joy-Con is subject of a class action lawsuit in the U.S., this is still a pending issue. We would like Mm -hmm. to refrain from responding about any specific actions. So, at least acknowledging that there is this issue. Because, I mean, all of mine, all of mine are trash. I have to play with the, uh, Pro controller because you can't send it in right now, yeah. or at least I think you still can't. I think but they I might have... be opening them up, if not now or pretty soon. Okay, back up for people. So yeah, I want to double ridiculous. check on that. Like, I can only play with a pro controller, like period. Yeah, there's no there's there's no playing otherwise. Yeah, their past couple bits of hardware have not done particularly well. The 3ds models were prone to scratching their top screens. Yeah. Which is a pretty bad thing to do when you're putting that 3D feature in there. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, yeah, let's... Scott and I had a conversation about how disappointed we are. I mean, we used to be able to... We didn't, but you could have pretty much jumped on any old vintage Nintendo equipment 
and nothing detrimental would happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's yeah. not... I feel like that old yeah, You could drop a TV don't... on a Nintendo 64 and... Oh, yeah. well, what the fuck was that? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't want to be there. They don't build them like they used to, but, I mean... It's true. Yeah. Yeah. I might sound like an old person, but you're right. It's true. Yeah, because I'm on my fourth DS, uh, 3DS, uh, and that's not because there were fancy new colors. It's because buttons started wearing out, scratch yeah. screens got to be too much, and I had opportunities to trade them in for newer versions, which was... Uh, good that that was an option, but mm-hmm. not great that uh, it got to that point. Right. Moving parts were a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll just say it. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, we'll have to wrong. see how this... It's, just a, it's a general decline for everything, but it's... I, the one thing I have to give Microsoft credit for is that when the Red Ring problem got bad... They acknowledged it. Sony didn't acknowledge the discrete errors for the PlayStation 2. It didn't acknowledge the laser errors for the PlayStation 1. It didn't acknowledge the yellow light of death for the PlayStation 3. Nintendo hasn't acknowledged shit as far as, like, up until now with the Joy-Con drift problems. And this has been going on for, what, three years? Yeah. Like, I don't know what their fucking problem is. All of them. But, like, just if you made something that's bad then fucking fix it. Like, again, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to fucking, like, stand for Microsoft, but, like, the the Red Ring shit cost them a billion dollars. Yeah. And they still fucking admitted it. And it's just yep. like, come on, man. Like, if they can do that, Nintendo, who can't even produce fucking systems fast enough for them not to be sold out, can just go, yeah, there's a problem. Yeah, the... Though I think that was partially they knew they were taking that risk when they rush the production like that uh, and cutting cutting it close to you know the their approval process for those uh, parts when they were making trying to get out there a year early uh, ahead of Sony and Nintendo uh, back then so yeah that's that seems like a thing where like yeah we're we're gonna hope this nothing happens but mm-hmm. they kind of had to really own up to it in a certain way, whereas uh, I don't know that the others necessarily had that issue with Nintendo and Sony, because I haven't seen much reporting on that. That seems like just general things just wearing out faster than it maybe should, but who knows. Mm. But yeah, uh, let's see, going back to Amazon a little bit, uh, they are working on a Fallout show with Bethesda, uh, with the creators of the uh, Westworld series for HBO. Uh, Depending on the tone they decide to go with, this could be very good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they uh, posted a little bit of a teaser thing on the, the Fallout uh, Twitter account. Uh, nothing really there other than just, you know, the, the old school 50s TV kind of... Uh, uh, static feed, that kind of thing. But yeah, it's no real uh, more details about it other than just yeah, the the duo behind okay. Westworld is uh, leading this. That worries me. Yeah, they, uh, Westworld was good in its first season, but uh, it was up its own ass in the second season and in the third season was just kind of like, eh. Yeah. So I feel like if they stick to something that's established, like the tone for Fallout and the way that 
people expect those stories to be told. Yeah. It's really kind of blueprinted for them. Hopefully they're not just like, but what if we did something different? Yeah, I think yeah. they are that's, saying That's what I said, d- depending on the tone. Yeah, because they're saying they have that fallout tone. Yeah, they're saying they're ca- they're planning on capturing the the harsh tone of the original games, mm-hmm. but we'll have some silly stuff because that is also part of the yes the fallouts uh, That's world. What they do? <laughs> yep. Yes. So who knows? We'll see how that how that turns out. If it even turns out, mm-hmm. could go to crap and yep. gets canceled before it even hits anything. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, but yeah, Media Molecule had a Dreamscom, uh, mm-hmm. event this past week, kind of celebrating, uh, their creators in Dreams, uh, as well as doing workshops and all that kind of stuff. I believe they even made, like, a virtual show floor, uh, for people to check out. They had, uh, uh, kind of play up the, the whole virtual thing. But, uh, part of the announcements they made here was that they are, uh, releasing their VR expansion on July 22nd, uh, which will give people new tutorials, how-tos, and kits to work on VR stuff for that game, as well as adapt their existing uh, creations for that if they want to, which uh, is pretty exciting for Dreams uh, in VR as well, because it's uh, just a whole, a whole new tool set that people can use to make VR games, VR... Uh, story stuff, just, uh, all sorts of great, uh, great ideas that, uh, that can come out of this without having to necessarily, you know, buy, uh, external games out of it when, uh, when you try out, when you dip into, like, the, the pool of, uh, PSVR stuff that's on, uh, the PS4. And yeah, this, uh, seems like, uh, exciting. That's, uh, what, about two and a half weeks out? Uh, That'd be cool to see. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Also coming out of PlayStation, Shuhei Yoshida unveiled his PlayStation Indies initiative uh, that he is working on to partner with Indies and all this kind of stuff for PlayStation and PS4 and PS5 uh, to bring cool games to the platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, along with this, they announced four games uh, that are coming to PS4 uh, and PS5 or... One or the other. Uh, let's see. We have Creeks, which is coming to PS4 this summer, which is a new game from Amanita's uh, Design. Uh, which if you don't know them, they made Machinarium on consoles, as well as uh, a bunch of uh, adventure games on uh, PC that have a very unique style to them. Uh, and they make a lot of cool stuff. So that'll be uh, something cool to see them back on console after Machinarium hits... Jeez, that might have been like 10 years ago at this point. Wow, yeah. Because that's been quite a while. Uh, Let's Mm -hmm. see. There's Heavenly Bodies coming to PS5 and PS4. Uh, This is a uh, space physics game, I guess you could describe it, uh, where you're kind of controlling an astronaut who has to like grab onto parts of the ship as you get around, grabbing Mm -hmm. objects to... Uh, complete puzzles and whatnot, all that kind of stuff. And there's a co-op mode, so you can uh, play with a friend or learn to hate each other, all that kind of stuff, <laughs> uh, as you can fuck with each other and all that. So uh, that seems like a pretty cool game. 
Uh, also, with PS5, they mentioned some of their uses of the DualSense uh, tied into this game, so like adaptive triggers, so you can sort of feel the density of the object you're gripping. Mm. Uh, so like metal scaffolding will feel very hard, while spacesuits will feel soft and squishy. That kind of stuff. The haptic feedback will give you uh, a better sense of uh, the ship rattling, all that kind of stuff. The filling levers snap when you are you know, opening doors and all that kind of stuff. It's cool. Uh, let's see. Fist, forged in Shadow Torch, is part of their China development initiative. Uh, this is... Seems like a, an action-adventure diesel punk game where it's a lot it's of... It's a Metroidvania, basically. Yeah, kind of a lot of uh, anthropomorphic animals that are uh, fighting against fighting back against the machine invasion. Yeah. Uh, and it looks pretty nice, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, so that'll be pretty cool to see. Uh, let's see, there's Maquette, which is a recursive uh, world puzzle game uh, where you're kind of doing puzzles on, like, a smaller stage of this, like, uh, whole set uh, while you're in, like, a bigger version of that. Uh, it's kind of hard to describe, but you're kind of working on puzzles that... Uh, moving objects around that affects a bigger version of that set you're on in ways of like getting around puzzles and all that kind of stuff. Uh, which seems pretty cool. That'll be... I don't think I mentioned a platform. Might be both, I'm not sure. Uh, let's see. Uh, there is Where the Heart Is, which is a new game from... Uh, I think it's Armature, the former Metroid Prime devs. Uh, it very much goes against what you might expect from that. It's more of an adventure game, narrative adventure game. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of dealing with uh, your character's family, uh, all their stuff that they're doing, and uh, going through this story, making choices, all that kind of stuff. And it seems to have a, a pretty nice style to it. So that'll be nice to see. That is uh, coming to PS4 this winter. Uh, let's see. Recompile is coming to PS5. This is a Metroid-style game about hacking. And uh, it is, from what I've seen, you got a, you got definitely choices away that you're hacking uh, objects and affecting things. That kind of leads to uh, the creation of an AI that kind of differs, in how, uh, differs depending on how you... Uh, uh, do your hacking, I guess. Uh, which is kind of a neat... Uh, I assume that'll be like your final boss uh, in a sense. So, yeah, that'll be cool to see. That's uh, only on PS5. Uh, there's Carto, uh, which is a puzzle adventure game coming to PS4. has a really nice style to it. Uh, very cutesy. That'll be coming to uh, PS4... Not sure when. This is published by Hummel Bundle. Uh, so that'll be nice. Uh, and the, let's see, Haven. It's coming to PS4 and PS5. This is a game that I played when it was on the, the Steam Game Festival, when they put a demo out. Uh, it's kind of about, it's from the Game Bakers who made Fury, which was a boss rush action game. Uh, this is not that. It is more exploration, uh, some combat, as you're kind of role-playing as the this couple that is exploring this planet and trying to figure out their way back to uh, their home world, I guess. 
Uh, I didn't quite get what all the story was about, but it has a really nice style to it. And it's like they're pushing this as an RPG that doesn't have like a quest log, like a formal like checklist of things to do, uh, that kind of stuff. Like it doesn't have uh, really stats to it, so you're not like upgrading your stats or managing loot or any of that kind of stuff. It's kind of just tied to uh, the different characters uh, just working together well. Uh, and yeah, but it has co-op, so you can play with a friend. Uh, if you want to. Uh, let's see, the last game is Worms Rumble, a real-time multiplayer Worms game for PS4 and PS5. It has cross-play. Yep. Uh, I think it's also coming to Xbox as well, so uh, it's going to have cross-play between all that. And yeah, it's celebrating the 30th anniversary of Team 17 and 25th anniversary of Worms. Yeah, it's... Uh, uh, they have, let's see, I think there's Deathmatch. Just pure deathmatch where you, you die, you're done for the game. Uh, they also look like they're going to have a Battle Royale mode, where it's ten teams of three working together to see who will be the last. And, uh, yeah, 32 players in a yeah, game. I think I'm going to play oh, that. Oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a setup for a lot of uh, chaos. Uh, I don't know what the destructibility is. It doesn't look like there's going to be too much of that, but it'll just be lots of weapons to, to use. For that, so that's uh, and lots of cosmetics to customize your worms as you would expect. Uh, yeah, that'll be out later this year. And so that's kind of uh, the slate that they announced this week for that. It seems like a, a pretty good selection of that stuff. And uh, continuing the, the little PlayStation section here, Horizon Zero Dawn Complete Edition got a date on Steam and Epic Game Store for August seventh. Yeah. Uh, for forty nine ninety nine, and I believe immediately on Steam it is like one of the top selling games for the last few days that the pre oh, yeah. have been open. So and I think that's also partially because in various other regions uh, around the world it is much cheaper, like the equivalent oh, yeah. of like twenty bucks or less in some countries. And of course, people try to use VPNs to get to these other regions to pay less for this and. Now those prices have raised on Steam. Yep. As a result, to to punish the people that actually live in those countries, because uh, mm. people want to exploit this stuff. Mm. It's like there's a reason why Valve has had to add this kind of shit to the to their service. Yeah, because uh, people... but on the flip side, if you haven't played Horizon Zero Dawn yet and you've been waiting for a PC version, well, now <laughs> now you can. Um, yep, they have, it uh, is. FAQ uh, on the game. Steam page that rolls you through like some of the upgrade stuff that's going on with that uh, over the PS4 version, but they've said like the the models and uh, environments and all that are the same as they are on PS4, but it'll be able to do 4K 60 uh, native 4K uh, supports controllers, mouse, keyboard, however you want to play it, all that kind of stuff. No ray tracing, uh, but I think it also supports 32 by 9 resolution monitors. So you can kind of go nuts with it if you want. Uh, yeah, that Jesus. game's great. Well worth checking out. PS4, PC, whatever. Uh, yeah. That'll be fun to see what sort of uh, screenshots people get in that version. Uh, let's see. we got some Xbox news here. Uh, we've been wondering when the hell they're going to reveal this Lock- Lockhart console. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. 
seems like any time would have been good, but seems like the the current rumors are suggesting August. Yeah. They'll have a, a stream during that month at some point to reveal yeah. it. Uh, and it'll be called the Xbox Series S to make sure that it'll be hard to pronounce either version of the, the <laughs> next console to have S and X. Uh, so, you know, it's, uh, and yeah, I guess, uh, originally they were planning on potentially releasing the S in August ahead of when the X was launching, which could be a way to get people in, I guess. Uh, I don't know. It's interesting strategies they kind of had uh, originally that kind of got thrown in the trash when COVID-19 struck. Now they're just going to be launching both at the same time, I assume. Uh, Yeah, we're still kind of waiting to find out what that thing is. It seems like there's too many leaks for it to not be kind of a lower-powered box that is going to be cheaper, uh, potentially much cheaper, but... Uh, a decent way to get into the Xbox next-gen ecosystem uh, if you need to. Uh, who knows? We'll find out, I guess, by waiting time. We're still waiting on that first-party stream that they're doing sometime this month. Yeah. Uh, so far, we don't know when that's going to happen. And that one's going to be basically their E3 replacement, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, to some degree. Uh, we'll get Halo Infinite, and who knows what else. Still got a lot of games that they've announced in the past, like Battletoads, that never got a release. Never materialized. <laughs> I, people yeah. have played it, but I don't think it's... We haven't seen, like, dates or anything for that, so... Yeah. Who knows what's going on there, but... Uh, let's see, uh, for Xbox One, though, uh, they are doing their own form of the Summer Game Fest demo event that Steam has been doing uh, in the past couple months here. Uh, they'll be having demos for 60 games coming up on July 21st to the 27th. Uh, the thing they do make sure to note that these are not normal demos. They're not. These are E3 demos. <laughs> these are not finished games. These are, you know, prototypes and uh, early stuff. So uh, they're not like the normal demos that you typically get on these consoles. Uh, which is something that I've been hoping uh, all three would do at some point. Yeah, this should have been commonplace since 2006. Yeah, it seems like honest. publishers are a bit too uh, gatekeeping with these things. Because yeah. people find ways to bitch anyway. Oh, yeah. Uh, might as well give them physical reasons to, to bitch versus just looking at trailers <laughs> and obsessing over them. Mm-hmm. Uh, over whether it's a downgrade or not. Uh yeah, demos will be only up for a week. This might be republished to uh, the store later on. Uh, and yeah, hit up the devs uh, on social media to let them know what you think. Uh, let's see. Yeah, they say they're going to have a lot of games also featured. It seems like they're probably going to maybe republish some old demos as well yeah. during this. But uh, they highlight some of the games that they're going to have. Uh, during this, which is Chris Tales, which is a uh, indie love letter to classic JRPGs. Mm-hmm. But uh, let's see, new perspective, appear in the past, act in the present, watch your choices dynamically change the future, all on one screen. So that'd be cool. Uh, destroy all humans. Uh, you can see like what that is, which I'll say I'm not a huge fan of the original. Mm. It's an okay game. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll have a demo for Haven, which we just talked about. That's one people should definitely check out. Uh, Hellpoint, an action RPG taking place on Irid Novo. Oh, I saw this on Steam. It's a this is a Demon Souls style game, like a, a Dark Souls kind of game, but in like a hell hell type environments, mm-hmm. or maybe like a Doom type environment where it's like a spaceship or some facility that gets taken over by hell demons and whatnot. Uh, but it has co-op online and local. Uh, there's Skatebird, which is a skateboarding game where you are controlling birds. That's mm-hmm. about all you need to know. Yep. Uh, there's The Veil, Shadow of the Crown, an audio-based action-adventure game that unlocks the full potential of 3D spatial sound. Uh, yeah, Medieval Combat. Uh, provide a truly novel experience for visually impaired and sighted gamers alike, so... Very cool to see. Uh, there's Raji, an ep- ancient epic action adventure game set in ancient India. A young girl named Raji has been chosen by the gods to stand against the demonic invasion of the human realm. Mm-hmm. Uh, her destiny to rescue her younger brother and face the demon lord, Mahabalasura. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Welcome to Elk, biographical adventure game set on an island like no other. Every character you encounter has a story to tell. It seems like an adventure game, so yeah, they're going to have uh, stuff for people to check out ahead of launch for a bunch of indie stuff and maybe some bigger stuff in there. All right. That's kind of uh, cool to see. Sounds good. Uh, let's get to some next-gen news, I guess. Uh, 2K Sports decided to be the first company to uh, reach the the topic of what the price of next-gen games are going to be mm-hmm. uh, with NBA 2K21, saying that the current versions on... Uh, Stadia, Switch, PS4, PC, and Xbox One are going to be 60 bucks on September 4th mm-hmm. when it launches. And later when the new consoles release uh, as a launch title, it is going to be 70 bucks. No free upgrade. Ooh. Uh, Ooh. Not even taking the route that EA did, which is just like, yeah, fine, we'll give it to you for a while. Uh, but they're going oh. for 70 bucks for that, which... It's kind of breaching the 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 potential conflict of interest of what BC yeah. offers, where you get the last gen versions of the games, you keep playing them on your new console, and yeah. how yeah, you sell new versions have of the game. Consequences, mm-hmm. yeah, which uh, is going to be interesting to see uh, where other publishers come into play on this stuff. Are they going to keep it at sixty for both? Yeah. It seems like we might be going into more fluid situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not really surprised that 2K is doing this because they are very weird when pub- uh, pricing games. Uh, they got oh. some stuff on Switch on sale right now, like Civ 6, and the game is on sale for cheaper than the expansion pass. Oh. Uh, I think WWE 2K18 is the last one they have on there uh, for that series, and the game is, I think, 20 bucks. I think it's like 1979, and the. Uh, the expansion pass is like twenty one bucks. And it's like this is an old fucking wrestling game. What the hell are you doing charging twenty bucks for this? Mm-hmm. It was also uh, the last good one that they made. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh so it's like, alright, you guys you guys are going for whatever it is. Who knows? But uh I guess if you want to buy uh both versions for you know, PlayStation or Xbox, they will sell you that for $100 in the 2K21 Mamba Forever Edition, which features Kobe Bryant on the cover. 
as honoring his legacy, I guess, by selling you uh, two versions of the same game for a hundred bucks. Jesus Christ! I think they also have not talked too much about the the features of the game, as far as like what is the new gen version is going to offer. Is it going to be the same game? Just one looks better. Uh, who knows? But uh, 2K uh, spokesperson uh, responded to a request for explanation for it. And they said, We believe our suggested retail price for NBA 2K21 on next generation platforms fairly represents the value of what's being offered. Power, speed, and technology that is only possible on new hardware. While we are confident that NBA 2K21 will be a monumental leap forward for the franchise, and a standout visual showcase on next-generation consoles. We recognize that it's our responsibility to prove this value to our fans and NBA 2K players. Looking forward to doing so, and we can't wait to show more in the upcoming months to launch. Yeah, we didn't ask for that. <clears throat> yeah, it's... We said, said we can't wait to swim in all of the money that we're going to shake you down for. Yeah, I think yeah. the important part about this is, to remember, is that this $10 increase, if they get away with it, is not going to get rid of microtransactions. Yeah, it's not going to get their developers paid any better. It is strictly to pad their bottom line and to see if they can get away with it. Yep. And this is already a game that's riddled with fucking microtransactions. Wait till EA pulls this shit. Uh-huh. And you know the I I want to be astoundingly clear here because I've actually been involved in a conversation this week where there were a bunch of fucking video game people like standing for these big companies and going, yeah, well, I don't mind paying more. Fuck you. I do. All right. I do strictly on principle. If you could fucking sit here and confirm to me that that 10 bucks would go to the developers and those people would be treated better, create less crunch time, all that shit. Sure. No problem. I'll give you 20 bucks, but you're not going to sit here and convince me that the one thing I've seen bandied about over and over and over and over and over again was that, well, you know, they haven't raised prices since, I think, what, 2006? And all yeah. of that is completely devoid of the fact that if you look at the fucking financial calendars of all of these big companies over the last year, pretty much every single one of them has record-breaking profits. Yep. And we've seen what they do when they have those profits. Activision Blizzard laid off 800 people, gave Bobby Kotick a $15 million bonus, and, and I think that quarter did like $1.4 billion in profit. So fuck them, fuck this fucking price increase, and fuck every single excuse that I hear about this. Like, oh, well, the manufacturing costs more. We're moving towards the digital age. You can offset those things. So if yeah. you don't have to box these games, if you don't have to warehouse them or anything else like that, which is where we see this going, all we are doing is lining these fucking publishers' pockets, and they're not the ones creating the games. And yeah. I think that there can be an argument for variable pricing. Like, for example, I feel like Witcher 3 is definitely worth a lot more than the $60 that you paid for it. But, again, I think it, it also matters in terms of what you're talking about as far as the package is. If you're getting a complete game and you're not going to be fucking nickel and dime to death, Fine, ask sixty, ask seventy dollars or something like that. But don't number one, don't do it under the guise of value or choice because it's neither. Um, and number two, if, for anybody out there that thinks that these these companies care about you, they don't at all. This is a financial transaction, and you should act accordingly. And, and the only way I can think about it is is that 
people that truly believe like these publishers care and all this other stuff are probably the same people that think when they go to a strip club that the stripper likes them and then they empty out their wallet. Like this is a financial transaction and these companies will do anything and everything to get as much money out of you as possible. And you need to make sure that the value proposition is tilted in your end. That's the that's the whole point of being a consumer and having choice and everything else like that. So just don't fall for the bullshit. Like this is needed. Like I read some statistic the other day that was like, yeah, well, development costs have jumped like 200 to 300% over 10 years. Well, maybe you should reconsider making a game that takes a thousand people to fucking make happen. I don't need I don't need sweat to be rendered in 4K, right? Yeah. Like so, just just think about where that money is going. And for God's sake, don't fucking buy the bullshit that these are these poor multi billion dollar companies are you know five seconds away from going bankrupt if you, Mister and Mrs. Consumer, doesn't just you know take it up the ass for an additional ten dollars. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, I think yeah. going with this uh this whole proposal without providing you like what you get for the money on either platform. Uh I don't think yeah, I it, see anything here mentioning like does your save no on the PS4 move over to the PS5? Right. Or do you have to start over when you move to the next platform? Do your uh microtransaction stuff move over? I mean for some, fuck's sake 2K has been re-releasing Grand Theft Auto like five fucking times, right? Yeah. Like Grand Theft Auto Five. Like these guys just want money, right? And yeah. whether or not the game is good is irrelevant. It's just a play for your money. And to that point, Chris, there's no there's no list that shows you what you're getting for that extra ten dollars. Yeah, you know. And that's the other crazy part about it. If there was some some bonus for you to have or something like that, but we've already seen what they've done before, where um, not they, but where we've seen other companies that are like, yeah, if you buy this version, you get the next gen version, you know, as, at, at parity. Yeah. So you don't have to buy two things. And these guys are like, well, fuck that. We could either get $70 or we could get a hundred or excuse me, we could get either $60 now and then another $70 later or yeah, let's just do that. And that's exactly what they're doing. Yeah. We'll offer this hundred dollar version that gets you both. Oh, and uh, that's the other thing. The last thing, and I'll let you keep talking after this, Chris, is that, this fucking idea that video games have been stuck at a $60 price point is nonsense, especially when we have all of these microtransactions involved now. You have DLC, you have expansion passes, and everything else like that. On top of that, at the fucking retail channel and the detail channels, you have deluxe editions, day one editions, and all kinds of stuff. So this idea, again, going back to that these poor publishers just are not going to be able to make it on $60 versions alone is horseshit. I guarantee you for every big version of a game coming out, there's probably two to three different versions of it out there that are obviously past that $60 mark. And that's happening today. So it's going to be crazier next gen. And so yeah. just fucking sitting here saying, well, the only reason this is happening is because, you know, the next gen consoles, guys, we got to make more money. Fuck you. Fuck you. That's not what this is about. You want to make more money because you want to make more money. We're not getting anything else for it. Yeah. Yeah, there's a reason why you haven't seen anybody else announce prices yet. Because uh, I, I assume every other publisher is looking at this like seeing how the reaction is. Like, should we join them? Should we not? We'll see how this goes. And Yeah, wait. it reminds me of last gen when we saw in the 360 gen. You guys remember the whole Project $10 bullshit? Yeah, and mm -hmm. that EA pulled, and then everybody was kind of okay with it, and because the the big caveat, right? Like the understood agreement was okay. 
yeah, this is for that multiplayer portion. And I get that because they have to have servers and yada, 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 yada. So the companies aren't making money when somebody buys it used and they need that money to, to pay for servers. And then when you watch that transform into Warner Brothers did it with Arkham City where they locked um, single player stuff behind a, a content pack that came in the fucking uh, package. And so then that turned into, okay, well, if you're buying it used, you don't actually get the full fucking game. And then finally that have that you know had some backlash and they finally stopped doing it. But then what they did is they pivoted to microtransactions. So this is an industry that's going to try and always find a way to take money out of your wallet and put it in theirs. And so you just really need to act accordingly. Yeah. And I think I was saying either last week or the week before that the $60 price point is pretty much the only thing that kept the consumers from declaring war over the current state of microtransactions. So we'll see where this takes it. Yeah. Yeah, and the the 2K series has kind of been one of those series that has basically just kept growing through no real uh, extra effort out of the devs and the, the publisher because the content's kind of been the same every single time. You know, you get your story mode, it's okay, uh, except for the one I year where... I fucking hate story mode. Yeah, where the, uh, uh, the Spike Lee one where it just went for it. With uh, one of the major characters just end up being a ghost that gives a a weird speech at the end, or it's like this is just fucking stupid enough to I'm okay with that. But mm-hmm. uh, the other ones, especially because it's it's a story that it limits what you can do with the career mode uh, initially, because it's like oh one year you just don't get drafted and you pick whatever team, or this year you get uh, drafted but you know you're not gonna be a top pick. So you got to deal with whatever you're going to get. Or this year, you know, you are a top pick or whatever. And it's like, I don't, I love the the road to the show stuff that MLB The Show does because it lets you pick how you want to do that stuff. Uh, You can kind of play poorly and end up with a a worse pick on some other team. But you can also just say, hey, you know, I'd rather be on this team. Like, all right, we'll trade you over here. That kind of stuff. And 2K just kind of keeps going on with whatever it's going to do. Maybe makes some small changes uh, to the way they do microtransactions, but in general, that stuff still sells really well because they've got people in the like team mode, the the ultimate team style mode. Uh, and yeah, like I was looking up the the pre-order edition on the the PlayStation Store uh, and looking at what they say here, and it's like they say uh, it's for the Mamba Forever edition, so that includes both. Uh, says, order the NBA 2K21 Mamba Forever Edition for PlayStation 4, and you will also receive NBA 2K21 and 100,000 virtual currency for PlayStation 5 upon release. As far as I know, that's all you get for this upgrade, at least as far as the, the pre-orders are concerned. Yeah, this extra edition like says, like okay, you get 100,000 virtual currency, 10,000 my team points, 10 my team tokens... 60 My Career Skill Boosts, 40 My Team Promo Packs, 10 at launch, 3 per week, uh, a couple of cards featuring the other uh, uh, cover athletes, because there's one for the current gen, one for next gen, and this then uh, Kobe for this special edition, which also that's the other thing, is like using Kobe Bryant's memory to sell this whole upgrade mm-hmm. thing is also kind of the part is like, this is kind of icky. Uh, just for that, shameless. yeah, 
Uh, you also get, let's see, My Player Shoe Collection, My Player Backpack, and a Kobe Bryant Digital Collection. I assume it has some Kobe Bryant jerseys and such for for your player uh, for that. So, yeah, it's like... That's just all, like, bonus stuff that's geared towards getting more microtransaction stuff out of you. Uh, yeah, and the whole Kobe thing just makes me want to get in the shower for, like, two or three hours after the show. Yeah. That's just... Ugh. Yeah, I feel like I get the sentiment of, you know, doing something for Kobe, but it's it using that as the face of this because people want to buy that to get because paid for it yeah. is yeah. Yeah. It's grime. Cuz it's cuz it it's is. yeah, it's exploiting people's love of him and his memory and all that. Uh people will buy that because one they get both. So it's cheaper than buying them separately and uh to you know, quote unquote support whatever the Kobe Bryant thing. I don't know if they've said anything like they're going to donate to his foundation or anything. Who I knows? see that would be okay. Yeah. But yeah, they don't have but, much in the way of details on this stuff. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. Like, you, you, some of these just... Honestly, the only out of these bigger companies, the only one that I've ever seen really have goodwill towards communities has been Ubisoft. That's because they're not an American company. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like I feel like the the charter for how you behave, you know, from a corporate level is different for them um, than what we see with others. But yeah, like the whole Kobe thing, that shit is just grimy, dude. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, uh, and it's also kind of just a weird thing where uh, this game's out in two months, and we still don't really know what we're expecting out of this year's edition. So they're they're going to talk about that more as we go, but yeah, it's just kind of a. They're stepping into the mud. See, see if they come out uh, stained or not. Who knows? Yeah. To see here's, how this goes. Here's, here's this was an interesting thing that I had a conversation with somebody about the other day, where I said, "Okay, so check this out. Let's say, because somebody, a bunch of people were saying, well, yeah, they do this, they'll just get rid of microtransactions.' I was like, you guys are dumb. Yeah, these are real." Fucking dumb, but whatever. Like, let's if get that was out. actually an explicit and understood uh, agreement, then okay, proceed. Yeah, but see, my thing with that too is that what would stop them from changing their mind a fucking year later? And then what could we do about it? Yeah, it would have to be binding somehow. Yeah, if they, if they were just like, all right, look, man, yeah. no more microtransactions. And then like 2K or EA, like think about what EA did with Battlefront. Remember that shit? EA would totally be the one to be like, no microtransactions. Sure, we'll do that this year. And then the next year rolls around. They'll be like, but guys, we need to do this because, you know, we have this new sweat engine we have to pay for and blah, 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 blah. And then, boom, you're stuck with microtransactions. And then what the fuck do you do? And then, then they watch, you know, somebody they watch somebody like EA, a company like EA, get away with that. And by they, I mean the rest of the industry. And then they go, well, fuck it. We can too. You yeah, know, like, like I said, it would have to be binding somehow. Yeah, that's that's just the thing. Like, I think there's. Enough, I don't know how that would be, but yeah. there would have to be that assurance. Well, I think there's enough variable pricing in the industry at this point for the different editions and and all of that stuff that I just see increasing the price at this point in the game. It's really stupid, especially since I think come the end of this month when we have like the unemployment benefits run out for people that extra bonus payment and all that stuff, like, and we see coronavirus spiking, like. People aren't going to just be fucking swimming in money and going, yep, can't no. wait to drop at 70 bucks. And, like, people think about that, like, well, it's only $10. Like, I've heard that a lot, too. It's oh. only $10. But you can apply that same thought process to anything. 
Like, okay, milk right now, if I go to Costco, costs me two thirty five. I can go up to, to Kroger or somewhere like that, and it's $4.10. And some people are like, well, it's only like a $2 difference. Yeah, but it's mm-hmm. cumulative, okay? Because how many fucking gallons of milk am I going to buy in the next couple of years? Same thing with games. How many games am I going to buy over the next you know generation where that $10 amounts into something significant, especially when you then think about, the DLC that you buy, and if you do engage in microtransactions or a special edition or some other shit, right? Yeah. It's just money thrown on the pile that they can burn. And I'm not cool with giving that shit away. Yeah. 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 Hey. It'll be a, a situation where yeah, you're not going to find any disagreement here. Uh-uh. Yeah. yeah. We'll have to see how this goes, see how the other publishers react and whatnot. So uh, that'll be. That'll be interesting to see. It's another another layer to the whole next gen uh, onslaught that uh, we still don't know. It's going to be a lot of the stories we follow for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a it's a part of the next gen picture. We're still not quite sure about which is like a good half of the picture. We still don't quite have yet over where where all this is going. But we yeah. got time for that and. Uh, yeah, let's get to the uh, the asshole portion of the show where we got yeah. uh, Last of Us Part Two, huge seller, uh, currently a big topic of conversation because some people like it, some people hate it, uh-huh. uh, and there's a there's a, a small portion of the the people that hate it that are uh, just attacking everybody attached to the game on oh, social yeah. media. Uh, I think. Neil Druckmann's gotten a bunch of his own stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. But particularly here, we have Laura Bailey, uh, a great uh, VO artist who has done lots of great work in this industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, she particularly vo- uh, voices uh, one of the main uh, characters of the game, Abby. Mm-hmm. Uh, does a great job with that. And she has been getting a slew of hate uh, oh, sent yeah. to her. Uh, and she uh, nicely censored it for people that haven't uh, gotten to those parts of the games yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a lot of people that are essentially blaming her for her character doing things in the game. Mm. Uh, threatening her, saying, like, I'm going to kill you because of such thing that happens. I'm going to yeah. find where you live and slaughter you for what you did to, you know, such and such. Uh, just want to say you should die. You ruined it. You know, I hope your parents die by a hard cancer for killing my blankety blank. Uh, I will find you and I will kill your kid for that. Just wait for that. Uh, you know, all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, first off, there's the whole disconnect that should be happening for these people. Mm-hmm. Laura did not write this character, did not design uh, the things that she would do in the game. She only performed it. Uh, so your complaints would be to the people writing the game. Which mm-hmm. also should not go to them either. Because these are not constructive criticism in any way. No. These are death threats because you did not like how the story did not go the way you wanted it to. Yeah. Which is sort of a big issue for the entertainment industry as a whole. Is people yeah, expecting I mean... stories to go one way or have the happy ending and a lot of stories well, don't go that way and this has happened to so many people 
um, Kelly Marie Tran for Star Wars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was so bad that, I mean, she got like, what, two minutes of screen time in Rise of Skywalker? Yeah. Actually, mm-hmm. no, no, that would be one minute, 16 seconds. Because people were so just nasty. Nasty. Or a character whose entire message is you should fight wars with love. Yeah. Hate. And then mm-hmm. Vanessa Morgan, she's a Canadian actress. She was on. Uh, uh, Riverdale, um, the it's one of the Archie things. Yeah. She hadn't even she hadn't even appeared yet, and people were giving her death threats because they were afraid that that uh, her character was going to break up a couple that they liked. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, what do, what do we need to do to bitch slap these people? Because I can't think of anything else that's going to cure this. Prosecute. Yeah, money. Yeah. Good. Good. A way of prosecuting these people and getting the cops to understand what the internet is. That these are real threats. Right. I, don't think, I don't even think it's a cop problem. I think it's, it's a legislation problem in that yeah. most people that are in office don't understand that this kind of shit happens. Because, like, Chuck Grassley's not browsing the fucking internet. Right? No. Like, but you see it like that kind of shit levied at AOC. Like, she would be someone that would understand or, like, younger members mm-hmm. of Congress that... I actually grew up with the internet and don't think of the internet as like a fax machine with a screen uh-huh. <laughs> that they understand these kinds of things can happen. So and something is I, I think a, it's always, a thing that you can turn off. Yeah. And it, it's just not. And, and yeah. I think until we see that lawmakers like on a, on a local and national level, take this kind of harassment more seriously. I, I just don't see, I, I don't see anything changing and I hate to be that way, but I, and, and not trying to You're not say wrong. something. Well, well, not trying to say something realistic. fucked up, but yeah. like, here's the thing: they don't give a fuck. Um, yeah. And on top of that, um, I mean, they didn't care when when 20 kids were killed in Parkland. So why the fuck no. would they care about internet harassment? You know? Yeah. yeah Until and- it happens to their grandkids, they're not going to give a shit. And I mean, even at this point, the way grandparents can be—not all, but the way grandparents can be now. Especially, you know, the the older ones, the boomer ones, they're like, ah, suck it up, Buttercup, and that's counterproductive. Don't say, say it least. builds character. Yeah, no, it doesn't. That's that's just teaching you to accept and never speak against harassment. You know, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. There is no problem on earth in human history that has ever been solved by shutting up about it. Yeah. 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 Ten bucks those the people making these death threats are also the people who pay seventy dollars for NBA two K without question. Yeah. yeah, I think there's hey, a there's, Again, you're not wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a, a large portion of these people that are like the same ones that will send death threats to like Call of Duty devs because they nerf their gun. Uh uh-huh. that kind of stupid shit that's like you realize your gun's not gonna be super powerful forever. It's not yeah. set in stone, things change. You like it when your gun gets more powerful, but God forbid it gets less powerful because it's too powerful, you know. It's people that do not respect the the layer that there should be between the people making the game and the, the product that they make. That's There should be some respect that, you know, like the actors working on it do not deserve the shit for the things they're doing uh, as characters. Because that's just a a stupid thing to have to even describe to people, uh, you know. Like 
you can separate the difference between, you know, uh, Will Smith and Independence Day versus his character, that kind of thing. You can separate that, but when you're on a crusade that is very much built around the hate of a woman daring to kill a man in a game, that's, that's where people just lose all sense and just yell at anybody they can. Which is kind of the awful thing with uh, The Last of Us Part 2 in particular, is just because it's been going to everybody. Uh, everybody that's on the development team, that's on Twitter and whatnot. Uh, Troy Baker, uh, Laura Bailey, all these people. Uh, people with uh, uh, that are, haven't even played the game. They're just going off of the leaks, which some of which aren't true, some of which are. Whatever. Yeah, and like the big one I remember is everybody thinking that Abby was trans. Now yeah. there is a trans character in the game, but it's not Abby. Yeah, and um, the notion that she is a woman who is muscular, which you know you can go look at the the body double they had that her old model was based on. Yeah. Also, these people never played Street Fighter or like freaking Overwatch. Oh, they probably get mad about that shit too. Probably. Uh, the SJW, you know, agenda that they're pushing. Laura Bailey, also the voice of Chun-Li. Yep. I was going to point yeah. that out. She's also the voice of Chun-Li. Uh, <sighs> and Jane and Proudmore from WoW. Mm-hmm. I That's believe she's right. also Femship, right? Yep. Imagine if Mass Effect came out now. Oh, my as God. As far as the, oh, sweet the investment people had in those characters and being yeah. like... Well, you killed them, you asshole. That's your fault. Mm. And the uproar about Mass Effect 3's ending and whatever, but yeah. the way people ship characters and games and shows and all that, God, that would be amazing to see how that would go, because it would just be a complete shit show. Cause people, well, it already was. Yeah, but it would be you know, to the next level, because this is all... That game was all about people kind of shipping your main character with other people on your ship, and the way that stuff has gone in like Game of Thrones and all that, mm-hmm. uh, that would be crazy to see what it would do now. But yeah, it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of sad. But yeah, uh, in response to this tweet she made showing off this stuff, she's gotten tons and tons of love, positivity from people around mm-hmm. the industry, showing support for her. Uh, she has responded saying, uh, damn, the amount of encouraging responses to this. I've always believed the good people far outweigh the bad. Thanks for reminding me of that today. So that's also the thing people should do when they see this kind of hate is send love to those people. Yeah. yeah. Show them that the minority that sends this kind of hate is not uh, the majority. Even if it's human nature to focus too much on the negativity that you get in response to things you work on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that's, uh, that's the Laura Bailey portion of this asshole segment. Uh, we'll get to Ubisoft. Oh, there's plenty uh, of assholery to go around when it comes to yeah. Ubisoft. So, finally gotten to the point where Eve Gilmore has, uh, spoken up, uh, sent an email to employees about the, the things they're going to do to work on these issues, uh, especially concerning the... Uh, editorial department, which is basically their creative uh, group that oversees all their creative decisions, 
uh, for all their studios and games and such. Uh, which, I guess up until now, has been all white males. Uh, yeah. Which is not great. Uh, and two of these people specifically are very much named in a lot of these issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me see if I have the names here. Uh, Maxime, Maxime Beland and Tommy Francois, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, yeah. who have a long line of history of, you know, being sexually harassing to women, talking about them, uh, in suggestive terms, taking them out to lunch to hit on them, that kind of stuff. All kind of shit that people in charge should not be doing. Um... Yeah, they're, the French newspaper Liberation has detailed allegations of all this stuff. It's, mm-hmm. in, it's in French, so you have to you know, do some Google uh, translating to read it. But yeah, it's uh, the the summaries I've read have very much been like, yeah, even one of these things is too much. But there's a good list of it. Um, but yeah. Guillemot says uh, in this email to employees, the situations that some of you have experienced or witnessed are absolutely not acceptable. No one should ever feel harassed or disrespected at work, and the types of inappropriate behavior we have recently learned about cannot and will not be tolerated. Uh, Specifically, I have decided to revise the composition of the editorial department, transform our human resource processes, and improve the accountability of all managers on these subjects. Uh, Let's see, they are changing... The editorial group uh, will impact the most senior-level creative leadership of the company, uh, I believe. Uh, let's see. I think Maxime Billand has left the company. Uh, and Tommy Francois is on uh, suspension, paid suspension, uh, pending the independent review that's going out for the whole company. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see... Yeah, they were kind of planning to reconfigure some of this stuff uh, back in January. Uh, but yeah, I imagine that got interrupted by COVID-19 and all that. Uh, seven people were named to this group initially, including a few who already held the position, all of them were white men. The company's internal message board, uh, where Ubisoft workers post with their real names, there was a lot of criticism of that lack of diversity. Uh, and so, yeah, their uh, CCO, Chief Creative Officer, uh, who's responsible for picking the team, uh, apologized. We have heard this feedback and agree that can and must do better when it comes to diversifying the editorial team and our development teams at Ubisoft in general. Uh, and, yeah, they are basically taking on mentors and uh, encouraged a diverse pool of internal applicants to have, like, junior members, I guess, of the team. Uh, but, yeah, they are... Uh, see, in addition to the change up to the editorial group, I uh, have those two outs, and I assume they'll try and find, uh, better people, uh, more diverse people, women, I assume, people of color to join that team, give it a shake up. Um, yeah, the, let's see, they're also announcing the creation of two new posts, specifically deal with the issues of workplace toxicity, versus head of workplace culture, which will be filled by Lindwine Sauer. Who's currently the project's director in the company's strategic innovations lab. Second is a head of diversity and inclusion. They have not named anybody to that yet, but said, uh, Eves has said that they will report directly to him. Uh, in addition, the email says the company will be holding a number of discussions with employees next week about their concerns, how to create a safer workplace, 
I believe they're also going to be sending out uh, surveys to get people's anonymous uh, uh, feedback on all this. And yeah, so seems like Eves is kind of stepping down, making the changes he can right now until he gets word back from the investigations as to what else might need to be done. But yeah, there's a third member who worked at Ubisoft Toronto has also been terminated for, quote, engaging in behaviors that do not align with what is expected of Ubisoft employees. So they're definitely uh, getting early action in on here from what they know has happened, uh, which is at least a good start for Ubisoft. Yeah, it's a comprehensive mm-hmm. start. Um, they're checking all the boxes, and we'll see, time will tell, if, you know, if they're in earnest about this. Yeah. Steve Gimbo is nothing I, if not you know, Just because their their bottom line is going to suffer if they're not. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, when they're making headlines around the world yep. uh, for this stuff going on, there's, their stakeholders will definitely demand that they be yeah, thorough through this. You know, everybody used to say there's no such thing as bad publicity. I think there is. Yeah. When it's concerning a topic that uh, is a big topic for all industries mm-hmm. at this point. There's a uh, fireball right now, and it should mm-hmm. Yeah. Because for so long it's been ignored. Yeah. Or sidelined, maybe. Yeah, they'll have to probably do a lot of firing and hiring of new people that uh, hopefully don't turn out to be bad apples. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, the, it's the conviction to make sure that they do not let those bad apples ruin the whole bunch. Mm. That is uh, going to be the key thing for them. Because they've had a number of people already step down just because they've been credibly named in this stuff. Uh, the head of the creative director of uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. No mm-hmm. longer there. So that won't change too much on that game because that is already nearly done at this point. Mm-hmm. But what was next for that studio? Now could be anything. Uh, but yeah, that uh, that is the Ubisoft news. Kind of the kind of the the biggest of the the developer publisher stuff because there's still other stuff going on. But yeah, this is sort of uh, it for the game making side of this whole thing. Now we're on to the fighting game community that has had kind of a awakening of sorts with <sighs> yeah. dozens of. Uh, allegations made, uh, yeah. plenty with evidence of DMs and such uh, mm-hmm. that were made uh, between people. Uh, notably at the top with Evo Online getting canceled after many of these allegations being made, but also uh, one being made against a co-founder of the organization, Mr. Joey, Mr. Wizard Queller, uh, which prompted... You know, Mortal Kombat 11 to get pulled. Capcom pulled out. I think the uh, uh, Microsoft pulled out with their game, the Fighting Herds uh, game. Those devs pulled out. Basically forced them to have to cancel this because there was going to be pretty much no games uh, that were participating in any of this. Uh, you know, which is an effective way to force change. Yeah. It's the, yeah. the people holding the purse strings that were funding your events say, you know what? Fuck you. 
so yeah, what do you guys have to say, Pat and Lee? I assume you guys know a bit more about this guy. And, yeah, uh, take it away. Yeah. Uh, we actually know him as the the thing. Um, I've just known him through being involved in the community for 20-plus years. Uh, Lee was a moderator over at Shoryuken for quite a while. And mm-hmm. um, the one incident that kind of um, comes to mind for me was it must have happened 15, 16 years ago. But there was a... Uh, one night there was just all this commotion on Shoryuken and and uh, Channel Capcom on IRC about um, about some sort of um, about uh, Joey being caught. I'm not sure if it was soliciting or just um, possessing um, images of some some guy in Darkwing Duck briefs and. Uh, there was questions about whether the guy was underage or not, but um, it, ultimately he wasn't. Um, but the the end result was just, okay, Joey's into barely legal dudes, whatever. Um, and it got scrubbed really quickly, but, um, you know, it was a situation where the fighting game community was woke enough to um, to not make a big deal about the fact that Joey was gay, but mm-hmm. at the same time, we weren't really alert enough to, um, to consider, you know, hold up. This still means something, mm-hmm. you know, this might not reach the level of criminality, but there's something going on here. And, um, I hadn't really thought about it much since then, but I think that's how a good chunk of the fighting game community, um, at the time found out that Joey was gay and, um, you know, like I said, not not much thought went into it after the fact because nothing had come out after that that uh, was in any way untoward. So um, the I'm the sense I got from it all was just okay. He's into what he's into, and never really thought much about it since. And obviously, the world has changed considerably since then. And if it had happened today. Um, I think everyone would have looked at it from a very different perspective, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, the way we thought back then and the way we think now are two very different things. And yeah, that's, um, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think the, um, one of the things that's bothered me, um, looking at the discourse around what's happening here is first of all, like I feel, I feel terrible that that happened to crack Braun. like, that's yeah, we've we've known him through the community forever too. Yeah, but the the thing is, is and I want to stress this, and it's not an excuse or anything like that. But when this accusation happened, I mean, we're talking like two thousand five, two thousand six. Yeah. I'm not exactly sure. No, no, it it was it had to have been before that because didn't Pat didn't SHGL close in two thousand and two? Something like that. Yeah. So this. Yeah. So this was. This could go back to the nineties. Yeah. This. It was the Darkwing Duck thing that was around two thousand five. Yeah. So. So yeah. So this instance where where Joey you know saw Crack Prawn's you know dick would have been before two thousand two, and so I think the thing that's worth I think there's two things that are really worth stressing here is the first is that I've seen a lot of people that are not involved in the fighting game community. Um, 
levying a shit ton of accusations towards everyone that knew Mr. Wizard and saying, well, you just had to have known. Um, and, and, and so the, the thing that I want to stress is that like the community here in Atlanta, for example, is different than the community that Pat plays in. And it's different than the community that plays in Southern California. And that community is different than the community that plays in Northern California. Um, I even saw at one point on a reset era, um, where somebody was saying that everybody that, you know, is involved in these tournaments knew, including Justin Wong. And like Justin Wong at the time that this happened would have been like 13. Yeah. So, so I, I think that really bears, you know, repeating over and over and over again is that even though a lot of us will intermingle at much bigger tournaments, um, these are really separate groups of people that, that come together at, at different majors and play and things like that. And so you can still have, you know, uh, contact with these people through the internet. I mean, God knows where we've been, we've all been doing this. Me and Pat have known each other since the early nineties because of the internet, you know, um, but I, I just think it's really important to stress that because one of the things that I've also seen um, bandied about is that the Canons knew. Now, I don't know if they knew or not that Joey was doing this kind of thing. I can't speak to that. But at the time that this happened, you know, Mr. Wizard was in Southern California at Southern Hills Golflands, and the Canons and Seth Killian were in NorCal. And when they did the first set of tournaments, the big series, which, or excuse me, the B series, which became Evo, B3 stood for Battle by the Bay. Yep. So again, these are people that were, were you know, distanced by quite a bit. And then, of course, you know, as they, you know, they become business partners, you can question whether or not they, they knew this stuff was happening. The other thing that I want to stress is that at the time that this kind of thing happened, I, I can't imagine that saying you were gay would go over remotely well, particularly in that era of the fighting game community, which just was marred by like insane shit talking that could lead to people yeah. to like beat the fuck out of one another that led to fights. I mean, there was, there was a shooting at Southern Hills golf land because mm-hmm. someone got their ass whooped in a game and came back with a gun. And that was like, part of the swan song. If I remember correctly. Yeah, exactly. And so that's just a different thing. I mean, you had folks like Watson, you know, Mike Watson, you know, was, would roll up on a motherfucker if they weren't acting right. You know, there's so I, I really think the only person out of that that like true OG crew that was that could get away with acting feminine or, or could have traits that you would consider that he may be gay is Viscan. And Viscan's not gay. And, and and he just did that to throw people off. Exactly. So I, I think that I think that sort of cloud that that wizard had to exist under um where i don't think he could, i don't think he could turn around and come out to somebody like ghetto d or valle or watson or somebody being like they like go like i like guys in the late 90s is something that would have gone over well and the thing that is important to stress and i guess maybe this is is um the paradox of this right is that a lot of these these gaming crews were like families you know, like I have yeah. my final round family out here in Atlanta that I've known for over 20 years. Um, and we all came together just because of playing Street Fighter. But I don't know the inner workings of some of these guys, like intimate lives. Like that's just not something I'm privy to. Um, so and maybe that is the paradox with part of what I'm saying is like, you know, if Joey was this close to people, you know, maybe they should have known that he was this way. But I, I just don't think it, it, it really translated. And I think that... I think it's fair 
to pose the question to somebody like Seth Killian or the Cannon brothers, you know, about what they knew and, and when they knew it and et cetera. And it's sort of less fair to, to ask that of people that are just associated again by association. Like, and personally, just coming from that community, I'm not going to throw shade or, or, or anything like that um, at people that have been, you know, who have never been uh, um, accused of any sort of misconduct like Seth Killian or like the Cannons or anything like that. Um, simply because, again, I think then you start digging into like guilt by association. And it really yeah. bothers me that, that I've seen so many people that are outside of the fighting game community suggesting that this is going to be something that kills us. Like Wizard is one person. And yes, he helped oversee Evo and all of that. But the one thing that I learned, and Pat can definitely fucking uh, testify to this, is that nothing is really ever going to kill the fighting game community. We went through a period of time where there were no new fighting games, and we still survived. So and it was probably one of the best times in the community. Right, exactly. So having having you know somebody at the top of an organization that is not representative of the fighting game community. Um, doing something that, that is this fucking bad is not going to be the thing that puts the nail in the coffin. I think the, the, the thing that can be learned from all of this is, is really just accountability. Like, you know, for a long time, I think that there has been sort of like a street level griminess that has applied in a lot of ways to the fighting game community. Um, and it's sort of, I think it's been, kind of polished down and, and, and kind of pushed off over the last like five to six years with, you know, esports and all these companies coming in and, 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 you know, throwing their money about so that a lot of these organizations that were running tournaments had to kind of clean up their acts and clean up kind of the stuff that was happening. Cause I mean, you could, there'd be, you know, side bets, shady shit, somebody getting their ass whooped at tournaments, like all kinds of stuff. And there's always people at these tournaments that, I personally wouldn't trust, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and again, but I think that also goes with anything that you do. I mean, you could run a fantasy football league and you could be like, you know what, we don't trust Frank, you know, because he's a shady motherfucker. Like, and I, I think that's something that, that's also at some point the fighting game community is going to have to deal with. Um, there's also, you know, something else that I, I think is worth mentioning is that despite these communities, you know, being where they are and thriving and things like that, um, there's not exactly a cross-pollination between them. For example, you're not going to find too many Smash players that play Street Fighter and vice versa. Most people tend to stick to groups of games. So like if you're a Tekken player, you may dabble in Soul Calibur. Um, if you play Street Fighter, you may go for Marvel. If you play Marvel, you may go to Street Fighter. There's very few people, um, in, in my experience as a tournament organizer, um, that play multiple games seriously. Like I still think... Justin Wong, who's a friend of mine, is a fucking freak of nature with the yeah. amount of games that he can play well. But Justin is Justin. Um, and, and even with him, how long um, how long were people was it that people were saying, like, oh, he can only play Marvel? And right. so he had to start branching out and start playing Third Strike and everything and started making a name for himself. And we started figuring out just how prolific he could really be. Yeah. Exactly. And so I think the biggest thing that, that the fighting game community is going to have to really tackle from this point going forward is really who that we're, we're putting up in the spotlight. Because frankly, there's a lot of people that aren't in the fighting game community that are bigger names that aren't very good people. Um, yeah. and, and then you can see that, you know, taken, taking to its, you know, sort of extreme, this kind of thing with, with, you know, Mr. Wizard, that here's a guy that 
um, has indebted, or excuse me, has put a uh, a mark on the scene, right? Yeah, that's bad. But also, it's arguable that Evo wouldn't have gotten to its heights that it had without some of his planning behind it, which yeah. just makes all of this even more, more you know, just just worse. Sorry, I'm, I'm I haven't thought that much about this because I haven't really had a chance to talk about it with very many people. So no, I get it. I, I apologize for tripping over my words, but it's it's the bottom line is it's fucking horrible that that this happened and I would not be surprised, especially from that crew, um, the SHGL crew that you're probably going to see more and hear more crazy shit come out. You'll probably hear some shit about crack prawn, to be honest with you. Um, just cause a lot of those guys, you know, like that was also back in the late nineties. You also had that jackass shit going on where it was like, I'll pay you money to do this fucking crazy thing, you know? And that just, I think really just made a lot of people's, base instincts a lot worse and especially if you're in a group of people and you're trying to get respect you'd be willing to do a lot of stupid shit that you wouldn't do normally um especially because those guys man and if you're talking about the fighting game community i mean that was like the center of the universe mm-hmm. you know, like these guys are the best and you know if you're going to roll with them then here's the expectation of what you should be doing or your behavior and all of that and again it doesn't make any of it right and it, you know this is beyond fucking wrong um but I also just think it's indicative of the type of people that were in the community at the time, some good, some bad, um, and the way that things were at the time as well. Now, I have seen things afterwards, like, you know, from years later where, you know, Mr. Wizard was, like, soliciting dick pics from people. And it just – it really is just, like – it comes across as, like, the guy trying to flirt at the club, but he doesn't know how to do it, you know, because he's too fucking old. And, again, yeah. I'm not making excuses for it, but it's just, like, Jesus Christ, Joey, have a little self-respect. You know, and I don't know. I know. I know Mr. Wizard in terms of seeing him at tournaments, chatting about tournament things and and, and all of that. But I never had a personal relationship with him beyond, you know, modding at SRK. And then I sometimes I had to run things by him, you know, but we never I never experienced anything that he liked. But I'm you know, I think we're similar in age. So um, he wasn't I guess I wasn't his target. Um, But, yeah, I'm curious to see what's going to happen from here. But I am really disappointed overall in the response um, from people that are outside the the fighting game community. They just—it's so apparent they have absolutely no idea how the fighting game community works. And you know, we're we're not a monolith. And and you know, I, I guarantee you, if you surveyed ninety nine percent of the people that are in the fighting game community, they're all fucking disgusted by this. But the fighting game community is also because it's not a monolith, and because it's also so centralized, but almost completely decentralized. Having one person or even, you know, somebody like the Cannons, you know, and Seth Killian, if all four of those guys went down, something would eventually step up to replace evolution because there's always going to be, yeah, there's, you know, there's always going to be this desire to go to a huge tournament and be exposed to different types of play that you don't normally get and congregate with people. Cause like the core backbone of the fighting game community is, is in person competition right and that in-person yep. competition makes you a better player it it you know forges relationships with people like i am closer with some of my friends in the fighting game community than i am with people that i knew in fucking elementary school you know because of that that common bond so um it, it's just one of those things like like street fighter especially and that that portion of that community um sort of transcends a lot of barriers. That's the other part about this that I think really should be stressed um, and is probably getting lost in the shuffle. I cannot tell you 
a more accepting culture, especially now, than that of the fighting game community. I mean, I'm talking about like in 2006 when I was helping out with like Final Round, you know, we would have people that were obviously transgendered coming to our tournaments and they would dress as they were because they were comfortable in that environment. And then you'd watch them change clothes after they were at the hotel venue and go like if they were going out to eat, you know, and, and it, it didn't it didn't click in my mind, you know, when I was seeing that stuff at first, because it was just like, oh, they're, you know, that's just somebody being themselves, you know. Um, so that's the other part of this, that despite Wizard being how he was and the things that he did, I really would argue for the most part, except with the exception of, you know, some players like Chris G and some of those guys are just fucking assholes. Overall, the fighting game community is the most accepting community that I've ever been a part of. Um, and so I do believe that because of that, you're going to see this kind of shit rooted out and we'll probably see a lot more bad things happen, uh, that, that are going to come to light soon, but those aren't going to be things that happened at, at tournaments or something. It's going to be shit that happened at after parties and stuff like that. And from yeah. there, that's where the fighting game community really needs to do a lot more, I think, to police that kind of shit. But at the same time, I don't know how much you can do if stuff is happening behind closed doors and you just don't fuck yeah. Like, I'm not sure how you would police unofficial after parties and just loose gatherings of players after events, before events, whatever. Um, a couple of other things I wanted to touch on, because predictably the DOA community is making it about itself, um, uh, her core values, whatever. Um, yeah, that's um, really a shitty attempt to stay relevant um, that should be called out, but... Um, another thing is back then, and even still a little bit to this day, um, the fighting game community was very much what I like to call a cloutocracy, where clout was pretty much everything. If you weren't a top player or a tournament organizer or, um, in Joey's case, head of uh, probably the most major website in the scene, um, nobody really cared what you had to say about anyone's behavior or um, whatever was going on in the, you know, behind the scenes. So I think that's probably what kept a lot of things from coming to light back in the day. And I, I'm hoping things have changed enough to where it can start coming to light now. Um, this will be a very interesting case study and, you know, hopefully we can get the rest of the stuff, however much or little there is rooted out because, um, it, it's been a long time coming. Okay. So, I'm going to speak as somebody who's not really too much aware of the FGC. I will say that I think I would be surprised from people thinking it is kind of a, an organized group of sorts. Because typically, like, when you see things pop up on ESPN and whatnot, you don't really see too much distinction between the groups that are involved in that stuff. Like, there's a little bit of messaging there that doesn't necessarily get out to the average person uh, in ways that probably should just a better situation is like these are groups of people that are uh, related but not like legally connected to or anything like that. Um, but I have to ask like so for these regional groups you guys are talking about, how much turnover do you think there will be uh, both in the the player portion as well as the people organizing things? Do you think there will be any like uh, concern about like these things went on under the watch uh, and so like for uh, Joey here uh, in the SoCal scene, like people, there are probably plenty of people that heard about things like you guys talked about. 
but yeah, obviously not enough. A long way. Not enough people I mean, spoke up, uh, especially those in places of power, to well, suggest I think, like I, what. Here's the thing. I think, I think at, the, at, at the point with like what happened with crack prone um, and Pat, I, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to jump in front of you, but I think that what you had in that situation is that there were a bunch of people involved in it that knew this was going on that were there for the bet. And they also didn't say anything. And I think yeah. that's indicative of the time in which this happened. And people didn't think that there was something wrong with that. It just came off as like boys being boys and an immature, stupid fucking bet. Yeah. You know? And so I think that that's important. But more to the point, Chris, I mean, I can't speak for like, you know, the people that, that run. Um, well, actually, I can speak for one thing. Uh, the guy that runs CEO, Alex Jabaley, is a fucking dirtbag. And it would not surprise me if you fucking find out some crazy shit about him. Yeah, um, uh, that would be low hanging yeah, fruit. He's he's a fucking complete piece of shit. I hope he gets hit by a truck and run over twice. I do not like that motherfucker, and it'll be very few people you guys would hear me spit that kind of venom towards. But seriously, I hope he gets hit by a truck. Um, anyway, but like to speak for like um, you know, for example, Final Round, which is an organization that I was involved with since I was like twenty. Um, Larry Dixon, the guy that runs Final Round. Wonderful person. Exactly. There, he, he is beyond reproach. You're not going to find out about him doing some kind of crazy shit like this. You know, he, he if anything, I think he gave a lot of people um, a place to belong that needed it, you know, here in the South. And, again, I think, you know, folks like him are, are, are beyond reproach. And I, I think you, maybe you could argue something like that, you know, with, with Wizard maybe. But the – the one thing that I don't hear talked about very much is that not a lot of people liked Mr. Wizard. No. Like, I know that sounds fucking crazy, right? Like, you could talk about the canons, and, you know, I think depending on how, like, who you talk to, like, you talk to other TOs, maybe some of them might not have the highest opinion of the canons. But the canons overall are nice people, and they're likable people. Um, for a lot of the fighting in community, that they're just not, they didn't like Joey, right? They didn't like Mr. Wizard. They didn't like who he was. They didn't like the way he behaved and all of that shit. Um and and I think the fucked up thing that happened here is is that despite his dislike, what are you going to do? You know, the plutocracy right? that I was talking yeah, about. Exactly. So to that point, you know, um, and you know, I don't know. Like, 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 and almost every tournament that I've been to, oh, like big ones outside of final round, it all, I've always heard rumors of shady things going on, but they were never like this. They were never about taking advantage of people. Um, never anything sexual. It was always something like money, you know, or somebody doing something wrong. Cause again, there's always kind of like been this, this like street level griminess to some of the smaller portions of the fighting game community, but never, never anything like this. Okay. Um, so I don't know if you'll see that. I mean, maybe you will, I, you know, part of me wonders if, if we're going back this far, if we're going back to, you know, pre 2002, you know, Fuck, you could probably find dirt on, on almost any of these these older guys that were in the fighting game community. I think, again, with the exception of folks like Larry. Um, I mean, I slept at that motherfucker's house. You know, I, I've been in the room when he was counting money to make sure that people got paid for their tournaments. You know, um, I have never, ever seen Larry do anything that was not 100% above board. I can't speak, you know, that way for, for other folks. Um, but in, especially in, in terms of something like this, again, the only type of things that I've ever seen that kind of gave me pause in the fighting game community, you know, had to be around money. And it was usually somebody like, oh, let's do a money match for like a thousand dollars and somebody get their ass whooped and be like, yeah, I don't have the money. 
You know, it was like stupid shit like that. It was never, okay. never anything like this. Okay, so uh, another question I have is sort of, do you expect like the people that are organizing these tournaments to sort of redouble up on accountabilities, talking to their people like, okay, if you see something, you hear something, you got to say something. We need to double back on this and hopefully not allow this to happen yeah. as thoroughly yeah. as a lot of this stuff seems to be happening. I think yeah. anyone who wants to stay in business is going to do that. Do you think exactly. the the big publishers, uh, Capcom, uh, WB, all these co- the developers mm-hmm. also bringing these games are going to also put pressure on these companies, these groups? To I mean, a fashion, but we um, there was a scene before they were on board, but and yeah. uh, there would be one after they leave, but it would definitely be look a lot different than what we have now. Yeah. Especially if they're yeah, think, hoping I, to get on like ESPN and whatnot. Yeah, I think that, the other thing too is it's about it's about what the tournament is trying to do. Like, like for example, at one point, like final round started getting mentioned on you know, on ESPN. That was never the goal, right? Like the goal was we want to have a fucking fighting game tournament with our friends and with new people that are in the community and come together and do some cool stuff and play together, right? Like that that was the goal for for final round, and then you know from that that morphed into it being like this business venture that it is. Um, so, you know, when you start dealing with, with sponsor money and all kinds of, you know, I guess attachments that come with that kind of thing, I think that you're definitely going to have folks like Capcom and, and, and NetherRealm and all those guys saying, like, you know, we want some more accountability. But, again, I don't know, I don't know what that looks like because yeah. what, how, do you, how do you stipulate in a contract that some – some stupid shit happens at your at your tournament venue, but maybe not the tournament. Like 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 you know, tournament organizers can do everything that they can to make their tournaments as safe as possible for everyone. Like that was something else that that I saw kind of thrown around this week that really bothered me. I saw something where somebody's like, "We should just make tournaments eighteen years and up." Right? There have been plenty of kids that have come to final round. I mean, people like I brought my son to final round when he was like seven. You know, like there's there's never any feeling like something bad would happen to our kids because we all looked out for each other. People would bring their families and stuff down on like the last day. So I, I, I don't know how you can really hold people accountable. Um, would it know, just be like requiring them to have a guardian? Having yeah, somebody I mean, that yeah. can at least ke- keep an eye on them, if not. Yeah, and that's so you don't have just have... kids showing up and then who knows what uh-huh. happens to them because well, there's see, nobody. I think, I think that's a parenting problem as well. Like yeah. when we had people, cause we had, we did have young kids come down to final round and there was never a time when they weren't with their parents. So if you have a, if you have a, a young kid going to a tournament by themselves, like first of all, as me as a TO, I, that would be a strange position to be put into. Cause it would be like, where the fuck is your mom and dad? Like who's, who's with you? Who's watching you? Like that would be a huge concern for me. Not because I'd be worried about, them being in danger or being like snatched by somebody like that's the other thing the fighting game community for the most part does a pretty good job of watching out out for itself i think the only time that you at least in my experience that you see that not really happening is goes back to that clout how did you pronounce it pat cloutocracy cloutocracy yeah we're like you know you have somebody or, or you know i've seen people that thought just because a top player was a top player they were a good person and that's bullshit. Like, people are people, regardless if they can play a fucking video game or not. Yeah. Um, I mean, fuck, Duck Doe fucking defrauded a huge chunk of Shoryuken with a pyramid scheme. 
back Wait, in the what? Late 2000s. Yeah, that's a whole different story we can get into. Holy shit. I Yeah. Th- I so, was never aware of that one. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's a whole different conversation we can get into. So the, the point is, is that just because you're a top player doesn't mean you're a good person. Um, you know, you, again, you see folks like Chris G is just a fucking whiny person. You know, um, you've seen a lot of the folks at the top um, that, that have been like good players, um, but aren't very good people. You know, um, so I just I think that, you know, whatever you're whatever you're doing, you're going to a tournament or anything like that. You need to be aware of, you know, the folks that you're around. Um, and that's the other reason why the community aspect of the fighting game community is so uh, is such a big deal. Because typically, if you're rolling into a tournament, you're going with your friends, you know, unless you're traveling out of state. And even then, I know a lot of people that go well, especially to then. Of, right. I know a lot of people that go to out of state tournaments, but meet up with people at out of state tournaments that they know. So you're still in a position where you're around people that you feel safe around. I mean, I've slept on the fucking floors of hotel rooms when I've been traveling for tournaments and and was never worried my wallet was going to get snatched or, or, or something like that. So, um, you know, and again, just to go back to the to the question, I mean, you know, you could you could, you know, put stuff on there for minors. But I think the only thing like in this instance that happened with Mr. Wizard with, with Crack Prawn is that if Crack Prawn's like mom was there. She'd have been like, don't jump in that fucking pool. Don't show him your dick. You know, I don't know. And I'm not trying to be at any point apologetic for what was what wizard did, because I think it's fucking horrible. But like, let's 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 reframe this. Right. Let's say that dick thing happened at Evo. How would how would Capcom or NetherRealm or anybody else like that? How would you stop that from happening, number one? And number two, how would you hold anybody responsible besides the obvious, which is, you know, pull their pull their funding? Um, because, like, let's say Joey, you know, under the assumption Joey's been doing all of this stuff, Mr. Wizard's been doing all of this stuff without a lot of people knowing about it. Would that have happened? Like, it's not like he did that on the fucking main stage. No. Right? Yeah. And so, so that comes back to you. How do you hold those folks accountable besides taking the money? And and so I just think it's a really tricky proposition because, like, if I, you know, as a TO, if somebody does something fucking shady in their hotel room, how can I stop that? Yeah. yeah you, you know? Have to hope there's... You, I, I think you can't uh, really prevent it from happening. You can only deal with it after the fact, unfortunately. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to hope that the, the victim is willing to speak up. Uh, yeah. So that people can know and know that maybe this isn't a person we should... Right, and it's and it's a tough situation. It's a tough situation because like, I don't know if you guys know. Like over the last two days, like Noel Brown apparently got accused of rape, but apparently he and I haven't looked into this fully, so I don't know, you know, which way I can weigh in on. Well, that, that wouldn't be the first time, would it? I, I don't know. I, again, I, I don't. I don't have much of an opinion about Noel Brown. I've met him plenty of times. He's not a guy I'd hang out with, but I, I don't know, you know, what his his deal is. But apparently this. This girl, excuse me, this woman accused him of raping uh, her twice. But then apparently, and again, I haven't vetted all this, so I could be completely wrong, but just from like what I was reading before the show, apparently Noel came back out and was able to provide um, text message logs um, and, and essentially brought the receipts to say that he didn't do these things. And so then other people I've noticed are already rushing to defend him and go see this, you know, this person in the community to accuse him of this only did this because she didn't like Noel. And and I think that's the other thing that is problematic with the fighting game community is um, I made a comment one year at final round that 
it felt like the fighting game community was turning less into a community where it was about, you know, challenging people and getting better and things like that and turned into the Disney Channel, meaning that you're always churning out pop stars. You're always churning out personalities that might not actually be good at, you know, what they're doing. Um, and I think what we've seen over the last, I would say, last 10 years has been, and then I would say in the last five, as a lot of the money came into the picture, is this huge pl- proliferation of personalities in something that reminds me of like professional wrestling. Yes. Um, and then people kind of believing the story that they've created for themselves for the whole community. Because I've seen people that when they're getting ready to go on stream and then when they see you behind the scenes are completely fucking different. Yeah. Um, and so that's I think that's go. something else. Yeah, that's got to go. I think I think if, especially if we're talking about accountability and transparency, I think I think we got to see that change. And I don't know that that's currently compatible with a lot of the top people in the fighting game community. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like there's there's a lot of soul searching people have to do about what they're going to do in the the future yeah. for this stuff. Yeah, and just to just to put the just to prove the point and I could be speaking completely out of turn here. Point me to somebody who doesn't like Justin Wong. Yeah. You don't hear anybody say anything bad about that guy. Yeah. If anyone has anything bad to say about Justin Wong, it's just because they're tired of him. Yeah, they're, they, they're tired of getting their ass whipped by him. But you don't hear that he's, he's, a, he's a, Justin is a good person. Yes. Right? Whereas, like, I think that you, with some of, the, some of the other folks in the fighting game industry, or fighting game community, rather, that have been kind of put on pedestals, people like, um, like Filipino champ and Chris G, I don't as just as a personal thing, I don't think they're very good people based on the behavior I've seen them exhibit. Yep. Whereas um, somebody like Mike Ross, who I've spent some time with, Mike seems like a genuinely good guy. Yeah, you know. So, but again, that's just you know only encountering them in, in tournament settings. Whereas you know, like on a personal level, I've, it's a very small to, sample size. Yeah, it's a small sample size. But like you know, when I compare that to somebody like you know, again, somebody like Larry Dixon who runs Final Round. You know, I've slept in that guy's house. I've known him since I was a teenager, you know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, fuck, he still invites us over for Thanksgiving. You know, we don't go because it's too fucking far and we got our own shit here. But, um, or compare that to like Justin Wong, who I have, I met Justin, I think when he was 17 and he first came to final round. And, you know, I, I don't play Marvel. He doesn't really have any real reason to know who the fuck I am, except that I help at the tournaments. But we've been out to dinner before, um, even to the point like the last Evo I attended. You know, last Evo I attended had like seemed like they had like 6,000 people shoved in the room. And he went out of his way to come find me and say hello. Um, you don't you don't see that in people that believe the character that they're putting forth. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I think that's something that's going to have to change as well. I think it's definitely a thing in culture of stop putting people and companies on pedestals because you yeah. like their work. They are people that can make the exact same mistakes anybody else can. And you see people just backlashing you on, know, like Naughty Dog. And it's like, you know, those people are people, right? They're not gods. Stop calling them naughty gods. That's just exacerbating issues whenever. The, they do make mistakes, and it's like the same with people yeah. as well. It's like you can say that you know Justin Wong is you know a great guy, you know, but you don't know 100 percent sure. It could come out there's some secret thing, but not accusing him of anything. But there's are those people that have come out over the years in pop culture and whatnot. Find mm-hmm. out oh this person secretly was a huge scumbag. They were just really good at hiding it, and that's always yeah. a, a thing you gotta. 
keep people at an appropriate distance when you're praising them. Yeah. Because uh, you never know. And you don't want to be the guy with shit all over your face because you were the one pushing them to other people that could be potential victims. And finding out well, later that I, you involved in that. Yeah, no, I hear you. And that's why I'm, I'm me personally, the only person that I can vouch for, like truly, truly in the fighting game community is Larry and Pat. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. and then of course, obviously my friends that I, I played with and I've been around and like, I can, that's the kind of stuff I can't, but like, you know, for, for people that you sort of know from a distance, I can't, I yeah. can't do that. That's you know, what I think. I that's think what that's fans kind of have to rethink what they're doing as well. Yeah, agree. Uh, stop, like especially with streamers and YouTubers, like stop making them out to be perfect people just because you enjoy their content. Well, not just that. I think the other thing. This will be the last thing I say because I think we're definitely running over. But I, yeah. I think the other part of it is is you shouldn't assume just because someone is famous they are good, right? Yeah. Um, and and to that point, um, when you get exposed. To people just liking you and being nice to you and, and maybe even like girls talking to you that you would not have been able to do otherwise just because you can move pixels around on the screen better than somebody else. I think for a lot of folks that can be really, really intoxicating. Yeah. Um, it can make Especially you say if it's do, novel. Yeah, and it can make you say or do things that you wouldn't normally do. And then again, that sort of reinforces that thing that we were talking about a few minutes ago where you essentially start believing your own hype. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's 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 a, a big theme with a lot of these accusations is people of power using that to take advantage of others. Yep. And that's yeah, definitely and, something and, that know, has to be asked of anybody in power in these communities. Right. And you think about that too, like if, if in, in Joey's uh in the instance with Mr. Wizard, I mean who knows how long he's actually might have like legitimately been doing something similar to what he did to Crack Prawn because of his position. And how many people that he was doing that to let him do that to them because of his position. Like we, you know, one of the things that we've seen in the me too movement was, um, some of these people did not fight back because the person that they were fighting against was in power. And that's what makes it even worse. Right. Is yeah. that, and that's what makes people coming forward and talking about these things. That's what makes it so brave is because they're putting everything on the line, knowing that they could be run out of whatever that they're into because they're saying this powerful person <laughs> excuse me, did something that they were not supposed to do. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the other, that's the other thing that's so troubling about this is that, you know, when you look at somebody, I'm not saying like Mr. Wizard and Harvey Weinstein are the same type of person, but when you were at a, there's a spectrum and they're both on. Yeah, it. exactly. There's a spectrum. They're both on it. And when you're at that level of power, you know, you, you effectively can't run people out of, you're, you know, Evo's the biggest fighting game tournament in the fucking world by a magnitude of like six compared to every other event around it. Um, and so, you know, you, you have that kind of power. You can toss somebody out. You can you know, do whatever to them. Um, I think people are a lot more willing to let you get away with shit that you shouldn't. And that's definitely not the way that it should be. And I think that we see that in every one of these power structures where these bad things happen. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think that's I think the biggest thing to just to get around to the original question you asked, Chris, is that I think the only way really forward in a lot of these uh, examples is almost an extreme level of accountability. And I think that comes down to character. Um, I don't think you can really also gain that from a rule set. You know, yeah. I think people yeah. have to naturally naturally or whatever, however they may come about it, want to do the right thing. Like one of the things that struck that stuck out to me about what Crack Prawn said was that um 
and forgive me, I'm paraphrasing, but he said something like, you know, I was taken advantage of and I didn't know that I was, you know, I think that's the, I think that's the other thing that's really, really important here. And he's like, I, you know, he came to realize this obviously much, much later. Um, I don't know why he spoke out about it. The reason why doesn't really matter. Um, but the fact that he did is important. Um, but again, you know, we talked about the context of the time and when these things happen, I think that stuff is relevant too. Um, so, it, you know, there's just so many things. But I think at the end of the day, the accountability has to come internally and whether it's extreme or whatever, I do think that that also begins with the type of character, you know, that the, the people in question have. Um, and so, you know, for anybody that's looking at doing tournament stuff or going to tournaments, you know, talk to people that have been to these places, see if, um, you know, shady things have happened around it. And, and, you know, every, every tournament organizer that I know is more than happy to talk to the people that are interested in coming to their tournaments or who have been there. Um, so, you know, if this, if bad things have happened at tournaments that you've been to tell someone, you know, that's the, uh, that's the other key portion of this. The only way to root this kind of stuff out is if people truly know that it happened. Like I knew wizard was gay like a decade ago. I had no yeah. idea he would do something like this. No fucking idea. Um, now, were you there for the Darkwing Duck thing? No. Okay. I hadn't even heard about that, Pat, until you and I talked about it. Huh. So, and that's that's the other part of it, right? As, as jacked in as I, I was to the community for such a long time, I'm also on a completely different coast than you guys. I don't even yeah. remember that getting over here. You know, so that, that's something else. They must have put a lid on that a lot faster than it felt like. Yeah. I mean, once the, once the lid was on it, it was on, but... yeah. But I, I really do think it comes down to character and, and, you know, the character of the people that you're around and the people that are throwing the tournaments. That, that I think that matters more than anything. And, and I think from that, that's where you get that kind of accountability. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, we'll move on to the, the next couple stories here. Going to other parts of the FTC. Uh, one of the lead designers of Skullgirls and Indivisible, Mike Zymont, uh, has been accused of... Uh, oh, no. Uncomfortable, uh, making, uh, two people at least, uh, maybe more, but, uh, making them comfortable, demeaning, and sexually suggestive comments. Uh, one over PMs, uh, private messages, and the other one over the course of years. Uh, one of them involving Bunny, a popular Twitch streamer who has 1.5 million followers, uh, across their various social media pages, uh, playing stuff like Guilty Gear, Xerd, and Skullgirls. Um, yeah, so she came out, uh, or no, so last week she came as a surprise when she announced she would be stepping away from the genre, uh, saying a big reason I am taking a break from the fighting community is sexual harassment I received, I received from a big creator. It was out of nowhere and really mortified me. I don't feel comfortable sharing their identity yet. It really shocked me how intrusive they were. And then, uh, this morning, uh, as of this writing, uh, she came forward to shed more light saying that it had been about Mike Zymont. Uh, a veteran fighting game competitor and developer on Skullgirls and Invisible uh, described pres- private messages from Zymont as incredibly disrespectful for eventually sharing an, uh, an Imgur gallery of screen caps of conversations from him. Uh, which I believe I saw a little bit of this, but a lot of it came off of uh, as just uh, a dude who's like really out of his element, I guess. Uh saying a lot of shit he should not have. Mike Z, just, and I'm just jumping in here because i got to bounce in just a second, you guys. Mike Z has always struck me as a dude that is extremely socially awkward 
and doesn't have any fucking idea of the implications of all the shit that he says and, and what those implications are. Not saying that remotely is an excuse for him, but to hear no. this about Mike Z does not surprise me. Yeah. Yeah, so that's definitely going to be an issue. I don't think uh, Lab Zero has made any statements or decisions on this, whether to get rid of him or not. Well, Mike Z uh, basically is Lab Zero, so I don't yeah. think I don't we'll think a statement is coming. But yeah, it seems like a, a bunch of people in the community put out a statement calling for him to be banned from commentary, uh, two-year ban from competition. Uh, Combo Breakers also said he is not welcome at next year's event. So there's definitely that for. See, I'm him. just finding out about this. Yeah. Uh, and the last one, it's kind of the, the FGZ and, uh, overall getting these allegations, especially in the Smash community, where it is a lot of... Well, quote-unquote FGC. Yeah. <laughs> we use uh, our quotes on that. Yeah, yeah. Just, just for the record, most of the people in the fighting game community feel that Smash is an entirely separate community. Yeah. Even though that, even though the core is that, you know, it's, you know, it's a fighting game, whatever. You know, until you have the major events, most Smash communities don't intersect with, like, Street Fighter communities. All right. Um, but, yeah, there's been a number of people uh, having allegations uh, uh, revealed about them. Uh, a lot of uh, people in their 20s having relationships with people in their teens, uh, things that are very much gross uh, that these people should you know not that? be doing. That has basically become a, a smash stereotype, I've found. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. like uh, being a top smash player is like being a pop punk front man um, in that regard. It, it, it's, more, um, it's more surprising when your behavior is above board. I don't understand why teen girls would put themselves in that position. I Yeah. I mean, well, especially when you consider when you combine well, it with the average hygiene level of the Smash player. Exactly, I've seen them a lot, not appealing. We've well, probably been downwind from a few of them too. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. When uh, before uh, two released, when they had a sneak preview at Woodfield Mall, I was really trying to swing my arms kind of wide to get people to stand away from me when I was waiting to play. Elba room, Elba room. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah, my involvement with not really the the f- the competitive part of the community, but just the 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 fandom part of the community and Smash is also kind of fairly toxic in the the way they handle things. It's there's obviously a lot of good people that are just don't get involved in any of that shit, but yeah, people that just throw fits over the dumbest shit. That's it's not surprising that the the competitive part of the community is similarly, you know, not well thought of. Uh, especially because, like, there's a, there's a lot of stuff here, but they don't catalog all of it, but they do go over a lot of the esports uh, parts of it with, like, uh, Pro Smash player Troy Puppe Wells said that he had a sexual relationship with commentator Cinnamon Senpai Dunson uh, when he was 14, she was 24. Uh, and she has not spoken about this, at least of this writing, and yeah, there's... There's a lot of shit like this that definitely puts a good part of that community uh, into question. Uh, hopefully there are 
uh, good people at the top that can hopefully get the rod out of there, but it seems like, yeah, that's going to probably affect how visible those tournaments are uh, for a good bit here. Because uh, I assume that nobody would want to uh, potentially find out, oh, these people you uh, featured on your, you know, on ESPN or whatever, actually, you know, sexual predators and that kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, that's, uh, there's always something that seems like it's going to keep being an ongoing issue. So, you know, we'll see how it's this gonna goes. It's going to get worse before it gets better, but it's going to get better. Yeah, we definitely stand with the victims speaking up. Uh, and hopefully the, the many victims that have been speaking for the past couple weeks encourages more uh, to come out that have it, have uh, have issues to speak about, because uh, mm-hmm. the more there is, the easier time it is to get uh, these shitty people out of the communities and hopefully make things better for the future. Yeah. Uh, we'll have to see how that goes. But yeah... Uh, I think that will do it for this week. Uh, went a little long here, but good show. Uh, yeah, this last bit was uh, nice to nice to be a part of, and hopefully we don't have to have another one of these yeah. next week. We'll see how it goes. It seems like at least the stuff that happened this week is big enough that maybe there's hopefully no more big bombs left, but who knows? Well, if it That's, is, we'll be unpacking related stuff. Yeah, I'm sure. But yeah, we have uh, we've had a lot to talk about here. Uh, if you do want to subscribe, definitely check out Anchor FM. We're on there on all all the other ways that you can get podcasts. Uh, they're they're all over the place. So you can whatever you're using, uh, you'll probably find us there. Just search for Daisy Update. Uh, and we'll be back next week. Uh, thank you to Pat, Brandon, Teresa, Lee. Uh, Lee and Brandon had to get going, so you might not have heard them for the last few minutes or so. Uh, but yeah, we'll be back next week. Hopefully more good things than bad. Yes. Uh, certainly would be nice, because everything else is bad these days. Uh, <laughs> it's been a shit show. It's a summer of shit. Uh, but thank you, everybody. Have a good one. We'll see you next week.